Wake up, wake up, wake up. It is good to have you once again, Damon Bruce, Larry Kruger, and uh, good morning. We're officially going to be doing this three days a week starting soon, but today a little President's Day especial. How you doing, Larry? What's going on, man? How are you? How was your weekend? Uh, you know, without football, it felt alone. It was a it was a less than interesting sports weekend all the way around. My uh, my Hoosiers embarrassed themselves at home against Northwestern. I'm not a big auto racing fan, but I'm always down for like 50 laps of the Daytona 500. Didn't get that. That got rained out. I was hoping the Tiger would make the cut at Riviera. Larry, he limped off the field uh, and withdrew after the first round. That didn't happen. You got Kenny Smith. Ruining the uh, the Steph Curry Sabrina shootout by saying ah she should have shot from the girls line uh, the worst All Star game money can buy is what we got in the NBA uh, you know at, at least at least we got Jorge Solar right <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's right at, at least we have the Giants you know at least at the very least uh, yeah I actually took the weekend and watched my my kids play a lot of sports. Uh, my 14-year-old played a little flag football, got a chance to watch him do that. He's getting good. And then he, I watched him go for like 40 uh, in the basketball game on Saturday night. So I was very excited to see that. Got our serious? first win. A 40-piece? Dropped a 40-piece, man. He, he Seriously, <laughs> he, was, he was really he – he had it cooking, man. Well, I, I made him a bet before the game. I said, look, dude, I cannot watch you anymore – shoot all these shots within three feet of the bucket and not use the backboard use the backboard and you're going to score a lot more all those 50 50 shots that roll out they're all going down if you use the backboard so dad dad stop telling me to use the i'm like stop fighting me on this use the backboard he's like dad this isn't 1950 i'm like i go it's not about what year it is use the goddamn backboard and so he took my advice. He used the backboard. Fundamentals. And look and at that. Look, I mean, you know, if you're playing and you use the backboard, they're all going down for you. You know, you're going to get a lot more, a lot more, uh, you're going to make a lot more shots than you realize. So sure, sure enough, he used the backboard. So we had baseball, we had basketball, we had flag football. We had a lot going on this weekend. No football. It did feel a little weird without football, but we were getting no football either way. That's right. There was no football coming to us, officially unavailable. I'm glad we're teaching some fundamentals to the youth. Good job, Larry. Little kiss off the backboard is a good way to go ahead and get yourself a gaudy point total. Uh, I had to bribe him. I had to bribe him, Damon. I had to say um, every time you don't use the backboard in a backboard situation, you owe me a buck. Every time you do use the backboard, I'll pay you a buck. <laughs> So I had to like go. I had to literally bribe him to use the backboard, and finally, you know, he went for forty, and we got our first win. All right. First of all, so I love that you're running your own like name, image, and likeness. Uh, uh, you, you're basically funding your own kids' nil. <laughs> yeah, just use the backboard, and you get twenty bucks, kid. That's um, right. It's like hey, I, I, I'm like Greg Williams with the bounty system. You know, I've got a bounty on the, you know, incentivizing certain behavior. 
Well, whatever it takes, whatever it takes to teach the children. Uh, like and subscribe if you would, please. It is wonderful to have you here. And again, Larry and I are very excited to announce to you that Wake Up by popular demand is going to be coming to you as a three-day-a-week show starting on March 4th, Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Larry and I will be at it with a very tight 45-minute show that fits perfectly into your morning, into your lunch hour, wherever you want to use it. It is going to be just waiting for you. So we're very, very excited about bringing this to you. And it will be, like I said, a tight 45 minutes. Very Today tight. We'll be a little bit of a meandering whatever we want to do because it's President's Day, Larry. We, we got no responsibilities beyond this. Um, let's see. Here we are living in a post-Super Bowl world where the 49ers have lost another one. It feels like the actual heat, the actual intensity of the loss has backed, you know, backed off a little bit, and now we're a week away from it. Um, but we certainly have some incredibly, what I'm going to call, annoying post-Super Bowl storylines that I think you and I should spend the first 20 minutes of today's show either highlighting or extinguishing once and for all. And the first thing that I would just like to put to bed are no more debate, no more think pieces, no more flow charts. I don't want to see anything else about how Kyle made the right choice in overtime. I don't want to see it. And if you're leaning into analytics to prove to me that Kyle made the right choice, I'm going to tell you that this is the first Super Bowl ever contested under these new overtime rules. Therefore, there really are no analytics and anything that you might have would be concluded as a small sample size in any other sports conversation out there. It was a mistake, full stop, to give Patrick Mahomes a chance to beat you. And maybe that's the, the, the key of it all. Forget about first possession, second possession. The job was don't let Patrick Mahomes beat you. And I felt that Taking the ball first opened the door to that happening more than it shut the door to that happening. I don't know why Niners fans who spent all regular season explaining how Kyle Shanahan was bad at this actually get to a moment where they can criticize a decision that he made and then they're defending him almost blindly. It's it's a little weird, isn't it? Well, just just we all need just need to say, okay, um, <clears throat> We like Kyle Shanahan. We want to keep him as the head coach. Um, and there you go. I mean, they lost the game. Okay, so right there, you know, whatever you did always is going to be called into question. But it's a, it's you know, I mean, you saw the video of the of Dave Taub, who's like one of the most accomplished special teams coaches in the NFL in the last three decades, and he said, "Guys, we got what we wanted." So, I mean, the other team's supposed to say, we didn't get what we wanted. Damn it. We lost the coin flip. They got what they wanted. But the in, in this scenario, Kansas City lost the coin flip and got what they wanted. So, <clears throat> that's an L. You know, you can, you can call it whatever you want. You can say whatever you want. I'm not saying fire Kyle. I'm not saying, um, you know, it's the worst thing in the world. But... They wanted it second, and they took it first, and basically got first and third instead of second. And in the way this, the way the college rules written, you always want to go second. You know, you want to go second in the college overtime. Why? 
because you're getting a try at it no matter what, and you want to know what you have to do. The other team doesn't score at all. All you need is a field goal. If the team scores a field goal, you know you need a touchdown. If the team scored a touchdown, you know if you want to win, you got to get a touchdown and a two-point conversion. There's a lot of people that really believe there's real value in starting that drive knowing what you need to win the game. And what's so, odd about it, Larry, is, is that Kyle goes about every single coin flip of the regular season thinking the later possession is more valuable to me. I'd rather have it to start the second half than right. the beginning of the game. So why that isn't in play for him in that moment too, again, it's just another head spinner. This is why nuanced discussions probably shouldn't be happening on Twitter where everybody just gets angry and says, well, your point is stupid, and let me tell you why I'm smart. There are different ways to look at this, but I really believe if you look at it Kyle's way, you're going to be looking at more Super Bowl defeats than Super Bowl wins going down the road with this. How about that? I wish that we could fast forward to next year's Super Bowl going to overtime and watch Kyle Shanahan not do the same thing again. Like, wouldn't that be the ultimate proof? Could we just fast forward to the very next opportunity where Kyle gets to make this choice? Do you think for a millisecond he's going to play it like he did last Sunday? I don't. I don't either. I don't either. Well, there you so, go. So, and, and yet um, <clears throat> there is a stubbornness to Kyle Shanahan, and we'll see. We'll see. Um, to me, though, to to pretend that that was the difference in the Super Bowl, I don't view it as such. I, I watched the entire, and I would recommend anybody um, who's a Niner fan, go watch Baldy and his hour-long deal with Gargano, who's his like podcast co-host, and um, and Spagnolo. They had they had Spags on for an hour, and they went through every aspect of Super Bowl Sunday. And one of the things that is undeniable um, is that really what won the Super Bowl for Kansas City was not anything Kyle did. It was that it was the incredible play of their lockdown duo of Legarius Sneed going against Ayuk and Trent McDuffie blanketing Debo. Blanketing. Blanketing. McDuff McDuffie beat Debo. Sneed beat Ayuk. Now, Ayuk beat Sneed at the end and would have had the final say, but we all know that Chris Jones wrecked that play and um, Spencer Burford missed a block. So, but there you there you go. If you want to give me, I, I missed the Super Bowl, Krugs. Give me the, you know, the cliff note version. That was it right there. Legereus Sneed bottled up Ayuk. Trent McDuffie bottled up Debo. The Niners had Debo as a huge part of their game plan, and they got very little out of it. And in reality, McCole Hardman and Jalen Watson, you say, who are those guys? Exactly. Those guys had better numbers at the end of the Super Bowl than Ayuk and Debo. That's and the real reason. And after shutting down Kelsey in the first half, there was no shutting down Kelsey in the second half, specifically fourth quarter, last drive of the fourth quarter, first drive of overtime. That's when great players whip it out and show it to you. And that's when Travis Kelsey decided to whip it out and show it to us. It was, look, Larry, it was sticky coverage and pressure up the middle. You know, that, how do a lot of defenses win? What What's the old cliche? What wins Super Bowls? Oh, that's right. It's not great quarterbacks. 
It's not great coaches. It's defenses. And Kansas City Chiefs defense, when it needed to be, was the best unit on the field, especially those corners and the pressure up the middle frustrated the 49ers throughout the entire game. The one thing that I have heard, and I I have not listened to the hour-long specific. I saw highlights of it, though, with Baldy and Spags and Gargano. Right. Um, It is clear what a level of respect that Steve Spagnuolo has for Brock Purdy. He didn't think that he was playing the inferior quarterback in the game, a quarterback to be confused easily or taken advantage of easily. I hear nothing but, you know, deferential respect that Steve Spagnuolo has when talking about Brock Purdy. And if that doesn't look at it this way, if you were a little worried about Brock Purdy after the Super Bowl, listen to Kansas city's defensive coordinator, talk about your quarterback. You'll be less worried. Yeah, no, he was effusive in his praise of Purdy saying that Purdy carved up his own defenses, made him go to man. Um, You know, Purdy was on the doorstep of doing what Brock Purdy does winning winning games, and then uh, Spagnolo. I mean, if you go back and watch the end of that game, <clears throat> Niners have the Chiefs on the freaking ropes, on the absolute ropes at the end of the fourth quarter, and if they convert the third and four, they're, they're going to run that clock down, kick the field goal, and win the Super Bowl. I mean, they literally are. Um, and third and four, uh, that play blew up. They settled for a long Jake Moody field goal. Shockingly, he made it. And then the defense allowed Mahomes to do what Mahomes does, and that's drive the length of the field and get the winner. So, you know, I have nothing bad to say about Brock Purdy in this game. In fact, if there was something that truly was accomplished in this game is that the 49ers can go into their offseason knowing that they've got their guy at quarterback. Now, I knew that ahead of time. You knew that ahead of time. But there were a lot of people, Damon, that – we're like, well, let's let's see if he can win the Super Bowl. Let's see, let's see. Well, he didn't win the Super Bowl. But I think he showed that the moment clearly wasn't too big, that he clearly has the that that pedigree where he can he can get it done on Super Bowl Sunday. I no doubt in my mind. And they have other needs, but he's not he's not one of them. They can go forward. We can finally go into this offseason going, you know what? Yeah, they're looking for a quarterback. They might be looking for a third to go with Brandon Allen and Brock Purdy. Again, I would much rather worry about a third quarterback than a starting quarterback, and I think everyone can pretty much nod along in agreement with that. Like and subscribe. It's great to have you here. President's Day. I don't even know why we still celebrate these guys, but we do, and it's a day off for most. Enjoy it. We're glad that you're starting with us. Make a little pot of coffee. Um, maybe there's another pot that's uh, sort of a part of your morning routine, whatever, whatever it takes for you to be comfortable with yours truly. And Larry, that's what we want you to do. Put your feet up and enjoy the other storyline that I am sick and tired of. And I didn't see this one. You could tell that people are grasping for content straws in the last few days here, Larry, the George Kittle, not falling on Christian McCaffrey's opening drive fumble being among the worst mistakes in the game and trying to pin that on Kittle is just ridiculous. First of all, he's five to 10 yards behind the play blocking. And, you know, was he chatting up a guy? I don't know, you know, to to whip your head around to think that a ball is going to be popping out. Again, we're just looking to place blame. How about this? There is plenty in this Super Bowl that George Kittle didn't do. 
to criticize him for doing all those other things. To say it's Kittle's fault that they lost that opening fumble is absurd in my mind. Would have been great if he recovered it? Sure, he didn't. But it's never anyone's fault they don't recover a fumble. These are hard to do. And I just don't see how that is a, a talking point du jour that I've heard a couple of times just, you know, consuming post-Super Bowl anxiety coverage. Well, I mean, it's it's right there for everybody to judge. You know what I mean? So that's that's really it, right? I mean, that's that's it more than anything. It's just right there. We can all see it. And when you can see it and you know that he didn't play to the whistle, it's like it's literally no different than the guy who's walking down the street and steps in shit, and we all go, oh, look, dude, you stepped in shit. It's like, you know, it's real obvious. It's like, great. So, I mean, it's, it, should he have played to the whistle? Yes, of course. You should always play to the whistle. But, I mean, beyond that, um, you know, I mean, that, that okay, you should play to the whistle. And let's get on to the next one. I mean, it's like George Kittle's a great player. I'm not going to. I'm not going to bang him over that. I mean, a lot of people are like, oh, you know, he talks too much and this and that. You love him when he's chatting it up when, you know, they're winning games. But suddenly when something like this happens, it's like he's he should shut his pie hole. And, you know, it's like, um, you know, I don't know. Everybody's going to be. I understand why people were critical uh, because that's the way people are. People are critical. Um, but at the same time, come on, I'm, I'm cutting him some slack. This is the way he plays. He talks and that's it. So the third and final thing. And then if you have more beyond this, Larry, please put it right on the table. But I know this is something that is, uh, near and dear to your heart. When we spoke last night, you said you wanted to get into this. The third offseason storyline that I am prepared to be growing very tired of, am kind of tired of, also could have almost predicted the way it started and it's playing out. The saga of Brandon Ayuk's offseason has officially begun. Would you like to talk about how this saga has begun or where you think it's actually going? Because the way it's begun is pretty much part and parcel of all wide receiver in public negotiations these days. You show up with your sunglasses on, you feel detached, you talk about the Super Bowl you didn't win. You have a sibling or someone, a girlfriend, start putting it out on Instagram. We ain't happy here. This might be our last time here. These are the opening gambits of modern negotiations in NBA contracts. So it's, re- or excuse me, NFL contracts. It's really not that uh, surprising that it's happening, a little bit disappointing, and a little unaware to me on, on Team Ayuk's behalf here because this is a guy who absolutely blossomed with a quarterback. If you're Brandon Ayuk, you shouldn't be looking to get away from a guy like Brock Purdy and the 49ers offense. You should be looking to come even deeper into it than ever before. But that doesn't maybe get you the premium price that you're looking for on an open market, which you're not even on yet. So, well, he, yeah, I mean, he's, he's out there, Damon. I mean, the, the Niners have, you know, Lynch has maintained that he's very important to the 49ers and that they, you know, want to go forward with him. Um, but it's a negotiation and the Niners have Prague negotiating. Prague's a very tough negotiator. Uh, IU caught 75 balls over 1300 yards this year. He was an all pro, um, but one of the biggest questions of the offseason is, do you trade him or do you sign him? Now, John Lynch has called him a priority, 
and um, he's entering his fifth-year option at $14 million. He'd like a player like IU, quote, to be a part of you going forward. That was the quote from John Lynch. Well, so, look, dude, just not to cut you off, but if you're Brandon yeah. Ayuk's agent, if you're Brandon Ayuk's agent, you're not letting him out there for a one-year $14 million deal. Well, you I mean, that's that's what he's due to make this year, right? right? No, no, I'm um, saying, but so you're, you're looking to renegotiate right now. You know what oh, I mean? Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. And, and the question is, um, does San Francisco want to have – you know, minimum, if you take Debo's 28 and Ayuk's, you know, 14, you're talking about $42 million devoted to wide receivers this year. That's going to be well over $50 million in future years. You're 32nd in the NFL in pass attempts in 2023. So are you going to pay $50 million when you throw the ball less than any other team in pro football to two wide receivers, I mean, you, I would almost you, look at it like yes, because you can't now, trade Debo. So it's not like you, know, you people. A lot of people go, "Well, just trade Debo." Well, no, because Debo's not worth anything at twenty-eight million dollars. You're not going to. You're only going to get like a fifth-round pick for Debo. And then you got the dead cap space or whatever doesn't go over in terms of. Money. Look, it's just that they gave Debo a bad contract. There's no other way to look at it based on what he's done in the biggest game that he's just played in. Um, and uh, we still like him as a player. There's no doubt that Debo is a, a perfect niner in many, many ways, but he's also flawed when you look at the actual salary that's committed to him. And if he were to have a number that stood in the way of doing business with Brandon Ayuk, who is much more of a one wide receiver. And, and here's the thing, Brandon Ayuk isn't a traditional number one wide receiver. He's more like a one and a half, but he's, he's this team's number one receiver, right? I mean, he's the 49ers best receiver. So what he is com in comparison to the NFL really shouldn't matter to the 49ers. I think that they need to bring him back. But if I were to meet you out on the Island of, okay, we do throw the ball. The 49ers do throw the ball very, very little. Therefore, saving a little money at wide receiver is something that they got to do, and trading Brandon Ayuk gets you a return. Not that I want Brandon Ayuk traded, but Larry, let's say that deal has to go down. What are you asking for? What is a fair ask for John Lynch if you're really dangling Ayuk? Yeah, I mean, that's the that's the ultimate question. What is the fair question? fair price and and who's coming knocking now um there's you know kansas city needs a wide receiver <laughs> i mean they're going to get a wide receiver this um this uh, off season um the raiders according to reports need a wide receiver they've got the 13th pick in the first round they also have a couple picks and i think in round two the new york giants need a wide receiver they pick in the top 10 um, you know, could you get a could you get their top ten pick? Uh, would you have to trade more than that? To would you have to be Ayuk and your pick for the top ten pick? Um, I don't know. I'm not sure exactly what's going to be out there. I would say a middle first round pick is the least that I'd want to take, and I'd probably want to get two for one. So I'd probably want to go. You know, um, picking either, a player. Ayuk and a Ayuk and a player for a pick and a player, or Ayuk for two picks, uh, but one of them's got to be in the first round, and 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 preferably in the middle of the first round, because I think, okay, so if you moved him, what would you do? I think you would turn around, and you would, 
you would want somebody, you know, in the middle of the first round, like a Taliesi Fuaga or JC Latham, you know, a plug and play right tackle would probably be your pick if you got if you made that. So would you rather have another wide receiver like Ayuk or would you rather, you know, um, trade Ayuk, get a couple picks and turn them into that that blue chip tackle and maybe a replacement wide receiver? Um, I mean, it's it's a tough call. It's a tough call. But when you look at their situation, I would say they, and by the way, there is a report out this morning uh column by Dan Graziano, ESPN.com, talking through the whole Brandon Ayuk situation. And the quote, as it pertains to Ayuk, says the most likely outcome, to me, the most likely way this shakes out is Ayuk ends up getting traded to a team where he's the clear number one wideout, where he can get that extension that he wants, leaving the Niners to draft his replacement um, kind of like the DeForest Buckner situation. And I don't know how I feel about that because I really like Ayuk and, and he's really, really good. But, you know, there are other receivers in this draft. Um, Brian Thomas from LSU, Xavier Leggett from South Carolina, Rice's kid, Brendan Rice, I really like, and maybe the third round. So, you I mean, there there's other receivers and um, – and they and you you got to get that blue chip tackle. I mean, at at some point you got to you have Brock Purdy. You now have to protect him. Now, it, what's more important, protecting him or giving him weapons? Because Ayuk's his number one weapon, you know, especially on those in in breaking routes. So it's gonna be a tough call. It's a tough call either way. But if you ask me, bet everything you have on one thing or another. I'm betting they're gonna trade Ayuk for a mid first round pick take an offensive lineman and then replace him in the draft or in free agency. That's the other Larry, thing. There's there's other free agents. You could go sign Calvin Ridley. You could go sign Mike Evans. You could go, you know, and I'm not sure what they would cost. Maybe you could get them cheaper than Iuk. I don't know. Um, but there's a bunch of free agents out there too. Again, I, I understand it, but I don't like it, especially in Kyle's system. It takes a couple of years to learn it. Where Who is the plug-and-play wide receiver that in year one with the Niners made a difference. I don't think there is one, Larry. I like, mean, wasn't it, Jerry Rice? No, no, no. But I mean, I mean, like it takes a year or two. I think. No, to I know. Out You're Kyle's right. System. And and Kyle is extra hard on coaching his wide receivers. Brandon Ayuk's career began in the doghouse. So many careers began in Kyle's doghouse on that side of the ball. And I just think that finally, here it is. You got the wide receiver and the quarterback and it is officially clicking i guess what i'm surprised about here is that brandon Ayuk seems to be full of so many sour grapes about this and maybe again it's just performative public negotiations i don't know but i'm surprised that brandon Ayuk isn't approaching this from a let's figure out a way to keep this going not so much the all right if you know maybe it's time for me to move on it just feels a little funny and strange and maybe this is you know Kyle wearing out his welcome with players a little bit we know that Debo came very close to this when he was looking at his free agency he had problems with the way that Kyle was looking at him and wanted to use him that went to like just veteran rest days during practice weeks to of course, there was the whole element of is Debo more of a running back and how should he be paid? There was that element that there's no element to that to the Ayuk negotiation. I'm just 
Like, here it is. Finally, a pair of jeans that fit well. And you want a new pair of jeans? Like, I just... Well, you know, the the thing about it, though, is that you you can't get um, tied emotionally. I mean, look at Kansas City. They had to get rid of uh, Tyreek Hill. I mean, this is what's happening to wide receivers all over the league. I mean, A.J. Brown was great in Tennessee, and then all of a sudden it was time to pay him, and they're like, what? You know, we're not paying him. So, um, you know, it's it's. These are you. These are tough decisions. These are really, really tough decisions. You can't pay everybody. Uh, you've already paid Debo. You're not going to be able to part ways with Debo. You also have Juwan Jennings, who just really played well in the Super Bowl. He's restricted, so you probably want to bring him back. Um, you know, you, there's always. It seems like every year in the draft is a good year for wide receivers. There's so many teams that play the spread in college that there's just a lot of good wide receivers in every draft. Um, and they badly need a blue chip offensive tackle or two because Trent is probably not going to be you know too far away from the end. So they've really got to um, you know they got to figure out a way to to make it all work. So it's I, you know I don't I don't agree necessarily that um, you know that I'm I'm not in a rush to move Ayuk either. But the 49ers are not going to if he wants. Twenty-eight million dollars or thirty million dollars. You're really going to spend fifty-eight million dollars in wide receivers when you don't throw that much. So I, you know, well, maybe it's gonna be a very it's going to be a very difficult uh, negotiation. And it sounds like, um, you know, if you ask me what's going on here with the dialogue and the rhetoric and the and the the tone of the negotiations, is that they probably already exchanged numbers and they're probably worlds apart, and so. Uh, that's probably Ayuk's camp kind of reacting to Parag's early low offers, and they're saying, "Hey, look, if those are the offers, get us out of here." I mean, it's all about guaranteed dollars, and how you whack that up is where you need a creative front office guy like Parag to make it all fit. It just, how about this? I think you are playing a dangerous game here because they're are very few wide receivers who affect a running game the way that Brandon Ayuk does. Brandon Ayuk is a fierce downfield blocker. He's got all sorts of squabbles and is bought in to being a blocking wide receiver when the play is being run his way for McCaffrey or whoever. And that is a tough thing to cash in because I think you you not only slow down your own passing attack by having to groom another first option wide receiver, but you slow down your running attack because you have Ayuk out and you're probably losing Juwan Jennings and Juwan Jennings and Brandon Ayuk in different uniforms. I think mean like right automatically mean Christian McCaffrey isn't as good next year as he was this past year because those two guys open up huge lanes for him. So how can this 49er team not miss a beat by saying goodbye to both Juwan Jennings and Brandon Ayuk, you hurt your passing game and your running game with those guys gone. Yeah, no, I mean, there's no question. But once again, I mean, you can't pay everybody, and you got to make really, really tough decisions. Um, and and you have to. Where are you getting your offensive line from? I mean, you got to. I think we all kind of watched as as the Niners' right side of their offensive line crumbled in the Super Bowl. they got to have a better right side of their line. So how do they get it? You know, they're going to have to probably invest 
in in the draft in somebody and it's, it's um you know it's just it's a very difficult thing to do so and, and if you said to me what are they likely to do i think they're gonna i think they're gonna wind up trading iuk and doing the buckner armstead thing all and kinlaw thing all over again and just hope that they hit on the on the wide receiver i think they're gonna if you ask me what they're gonna do i think they're going two for one i think they're gonna go two for one and they're gonna try to trade iuk and replace him in the draft and use whatever draft capital they get in the middle of the first round on that much needed plug and play jc latham taliesi fuaga you know that right tackle that starts from day one I, it is a risk, though. There's, there's no question because what if you draft a receiver and he's like lots of receivers, and he needs three years before you're ready? You know, that's that's a real that's a real issue. So, right. are, you no, me, are, are you telling me Ronnie Bell is ready to go in year two? <laughs> I would say be. no. He better be. Danny yeah. Gray and you. Danny Gray's been on the team for what thirteen years now. Hasn't played a game yet. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, Danny Gray can't stay healthy. Ronnie Bell's kind of small. You know, Chris Conley and Willie Sneed are a little too old. Um, but if you do look at the free agent market for wide receivers, you know, there are some pretty good ones out there. I'll, I'll throw you a few names. Mike Evans, Calvin Ridley. Um, Is Mike Evans seriously out there now free agent-wise? Yeah. Hollywood Brown, T. Higgins, Michael Pittman, LaVisca Chenault. Chase Claypool, they're all free agents. So I mean, there may be, and it's a good free agent. It's a good draft for for a wide receiver. So maybe maybe they think, feel confident uh, going that direction. I just again, rookie wide receivers and Kyle Shanahan. It's like oil and water. We haven't seen them mix well, not yet. Uh, welcome to Wake Up, Damon Bruce and Larry Kruger. Hit like and subscribe. I know that memberships are available, and I got to tell everyone, Larry, we're getting together once again with a little Plus Mania 3, The Revenge, on March 3rd, which is a Sunday. We're going to be getting together starting at 4 o'clock at the Halfway Club, out Crocker Amazon on Geneva. My buddies have opened a bar. We're going to be throwing open the doors and asking a whole bunch of people to come on in. We're going to be inviting many from the island of misfit toys i'm going to put up the flag to fp to paulie mac and hopefully larry you can come on by and we're going to get together and uh tip some back and have a good time with a whole bunch of people who are here almost daily supporting what we're doing and we thank you so very much the community aspect of all this is is really real and uh, we hope to see you there again march 3rd four o'clock halfway club it's Plus Mania 3, The Revenge. So come on out. Hopefully you can make it. Larry, uh, should we bring our wives and have them cut half-drunken videos about how proud they are about it? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I don't know if I, after the last one if my, I'll be able to drag my wife there, but I'll be there. Amy, Amy no longer available for public appearances. But, <laughs> uh, we certainly hope that she can come out. We hope everyone comes on out and, uh, and, and hangs out. It should be a really good time. So, look, beyond the... George Kittle catching too much heat for a fumble that he didn't fall on. The overtime nonsense, which I don't even know why anyone's talking about it. The Niners played it wrong. They got a loss to show for it. And the Brandon Ayuk saga. What is something that you are leaning into or are already sick of from this offseason in terms of storylines, Larry? Well, I mean, sick of? I'm not sick of it, but I, I just had Kev send me. I did a video the other day. Um... 
and I said that that in the video that you, this may be the off season that we see the the uniting of the Bosa brothers um, in San Francisco, and um, there's a rumor out this morning that the Chargers are likely to release Joey Bosa. And I talked about this in a video on my channel last week, um, and I, I I knew this was coming uh, that they were going to release Joey Bosa. And I just think that this is when you look at Randy Gregory and Chase Young and and Cleveland Farrell and all the different guys they've got that they potentially could re-sign. Um, I think it makes a lot of sense to go after to go after uh, Joey Bosa here. I mean, this is the this would be the time to unite these guys. Um, Joey Bosa's 28. He's 6'5. He's 280. He's got two. He had, you know, if they're going to release him, he'll be out of his deal, but he has two years left on his contract. Um, he's making $36.6 million. Again, so this is why, I mean, like, I love you, Larry. What are you talking about? If they can't afford to do business with Brandon Ayuk, how the hell can you reinvest in another? premium priced defensive lineman when you just saw a premium priced defensive line do very little in the second half of the year. I, I just, how, yeah, how, but I mean, you don't know what kind of price tag you can get. I mean, you know, it's a different deal. It's a different player at a different time. You've got Ayuk looking to make Buco bucks and we'll, we'll see what Joey Bosa, Joey Bosa's only played in 14 games over the last two years. He only has nine sacks over the last two years, but he's still a premier guy. If but they've got the Niners the rest of his career for the price of a song because he wants to come play with his brother. That's how you get that deal done. Anything short of that? How do you? He's well, I mean, I'd be willing to pay him something. I'm just not. I mean, you, you were paying Chase Young and Randy Gregory, and you know, uh, you you know, you potentially are gonna. There's talk about re-signing these guys. You're gonna need to have some edge piece. Um, all I'm saying is maybe let those guys walk and go with Joey and, and see if you can get Joey on a better deal. Um, and maybe I'm, you can, maybe you can't. I don't know, but I this would be the time to research it. Um, this guy's a four-time four pro bowler. you got to walk up to Nick and say, you want to play with your brother? We need to restructure you right now. Yeah, I mean, and there's and there may be a way to do this. Um, you know, and, and here's the thing with, with uh, the Chargers. Khalil Mack and Bosa are both in that category, and Mack's coming off a 17-sack season. So they're going to re-sign him, and so that means – and they're $45.8 million, the Chargers are, over the projected NFL salary cap of 242. So until – I mean, I don't know what they're carrying over from 23. Those numbers will get tabulated soon. But right now, before that's tabulated, the Chargers have the fourth – worst cap situation currently in the NFL while the Niners uh comparatively are 3.7 million over the cap so I'm just saying um Joey has big talent and Joey's done it before Joey I think I would rather have and I know most of you would rather have Joey Bosa over Chase Young Randy Gregory or Cleveland Farrell um I'd rather have Brandon Ayuk over any of those names yeah, Brandon but I mean, who fits like a glove is absolutely in the bullseye of his prime as a football player. Uh, 
I mean, again, if you got if you got a lot of money to spend in one. But direction, once again, that's fifty million dollars on wide receivers on a team that was thirty second in pass attempts. But how much are you spending on defensive ends for a team that doesn't have a straight up gaudy sack total at the end of a year? Well, I mean, the you, that's that you know you're presuming that. Who knows? Maybe they would have a gaudy sack total. I mean, what I'm saying is, I'd rather have Joey Bosa opposite Nick Bosa than Chase Young, Randy Gregory, Cleveland Farrell. I'm tired of talking about guys whose motors don't rev in the biggest games of the year. At least I know Joey Bosa's motors going to rev high. So and 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 there's no question he would have to take a reduced deal. I mean, he's not going to be making thirty six point six million dollars if he comes to the 49ers. It has to be it has to be a much much more team friendly deal. But maybe he would take that. You know, maybe he would take that to uh, to play with his brother. And who knows? And I don't know how their cap's going to shake out. But um, they're they're always tough decisions to make. But at the same time. A guy like Joey Bosa would definitely be interesting. Interest, I would be interested in him. I'm already getting ready for a, uh, you know, he'll miss the next four games with a tweaked hamstring or something like that. Like, he's just always hurt. I mean, Joey Bosa not playing for the Chargers is a bigger memory for me of his Chargers career than him playing for the Chargers. He's always oh, I know. Um, but you know, he, he's, he's, he's a talented player though. I mean, you're talking about a really, really talented edge rusher. Um, I'd love to see it. I think it would be, I think it'd be great if you could make the money work, which is a big if, but if you could make the money work, I'd be interested. I mean, you know, I, I think this is the year they probably say goodbye to, you know, Kyle Husechek. You know, this is probably that they they do have Brock on a rookie deal for one more year, so they're getting that that awesome quarterback play for eight hundred grand. You know, they still have one more year to have some expensive non quarterback items. Uh, we'll see what they choose to do, but they've got they've got some tough decisions because the IUK decision is going to be tough. Um, you know. Heck, I mean, how are they going to? Where are the tackles coming from? You're going to have to find some tackles. Um, you can't go forward with what you got at, at on the right side of your offensive line. To me, the the this off season has to include a rebuilding of your D line and a rebuilding of the right side of your O line. If you don't do that, you're not going to have a chance to, to to compete for a Super Bowl next year. Larry, it is uh, Monday, February 19th, President's Day. Will the 49ers have hired a defensive coordinator by end of business Friday? Hmm. I'll say yes. I'll say they, they'll get it done this week. Um, and, you know, I mean, I'm throwing out Bill Belichick. Everybody laughed. Um, I got mocked openly. And uh, and continue to in certain spots, but I'll stay with that. I I I think there's already an article out where Shanahan said it. I remember sitting there what when he said it. Hey, you know what? If Bill Belichick's out there and I've got to fire somebody on my staff to create room for him, so be it. I'd be stupid not to do it. So now they don't. Bill Belichick's out there and they don't have to fire anybody on their staff. Um, they can just sign him. So now it's just about hey Jed, can you can you build can you put up a, a big pot of money for for Bill? The nice thing is that unlike the players, uh, there is no cap 
for the coaches. So Shanahan's making $14 million a year, and Belichick made twenty-five. And would he take two years on $25 million, cut his paycheck in half, basically, $12.5 million, make less than the head coach, but still a ton, well, and uh, to be the here, defensive coordinator? Here are the fringe benefits along with this bill. You have to talk to the media once a month. That's it. Like, we'll, we'll never put you in front of the media. You don't do anything but coach football. It's everything you've ever wanted as a football coach with none of the demands that the NFL puts on a head football coach, which you always loathed to begin with. Um, you know, and it I'm, takes Kyle, it takes Kyle completely out of the defensive coaching conversation. He's not even, he's not even really on those headsets. If Belichick is, is here, I don't even think Kyle's on the defensive headset. Well, and, and, I can already hear the mocking of, oh, it took Kyle hiring Bill Belichick to win a Super Bowl. Who cares? And I really hey. do think after this last Super Bowl loss, Kyle is in the I don't give a shit who gets credit for anything anymore. I need a Lombardi trophy. I got one more year to do it with this team as it's kind of constructed right now. Well, you know, it's so funny you say that because a lot of people, Damon, said the exact same thing in 1994. This Super Bowl is not going to really be not going to really count because you got Dion and Dion took away half the field and yeah you had to go get Dion to win the Super Bowl. Now here it is years later people just are like yeah they got five, yeah they got five because nobody right. cares nobody remembers or cares who was on the team, um, you know and and yeah is Shanahan going to have some people going hey you needed Belichick to get over yeah. Um, but guess what? Both these guys have to minimize their ego and check it at the door. And so I think it works because of that. I think it works because Bill's got to check his ego the same way that Kyle needs to check his ego. Um, I think it works. So I, I'm that's the guy that I want. And I've heard the other names. So so let's let's kind of go over them one by one here because you know this is either going to come from outside the house or inside the house. And obviously, Bill Belichick would come from outside the house, but coming from outside the house is then Bill Belichick, and there are no questions to be asked beyond it's Bill Belichick. Um, what do you think? Let's start with this. What do you think is the singular biggest reason why Steve Wilkes was let go? Because I think it is easy to demonstrate that the defense had a pretty good year. It's also easy to point at some shortcomings and what didn't work. And ultimately, Larry, I think it just comes down to fit. Kyle was uncomfortable with the fit of the guy and the way he went about coaching from back to front. Kyle envisioned it more from front to back. And, I, I, I you know, he said, it. I'm not trying to question the man, the man's work ethic. It just it feels like Kyle is just trying to say, like, it just didn't fit philosophically. I wanted it to fit better than it actually did. And I'm not trying to scapegoat anybody, but I, I don't want to think about this anymore. And with him, I had to think about it. Yeah, I think you kind of hit it there. I would say trust is the key word. He didn't trust. He Kyle wants to have Kyle wants to dial up plays, sequence plays, call plays. He doesn't want to worry about defense. I think he needs a defensive head coach. Um, so. That that's why I, th I think he needs somebody that he absolutely trusts without a shadow of a doubt, and that's why Belichick's perfect because he doesn't have to worry about Belichick. He can just sit there and just be like, "Bill, 
do what you got to do. You know, two more. You're out. you're you're the guy, and and right. I don't. I think Kyle. I, I think what was the biggest problem? People kept you know the people that keep talking about this Wilkes thing and keep filibustering about the Super Bowl. Guys, it's not about the Super Bowl. It's not about what happened in the Super Bowl. It's about the fact that several times over the course of the year, the guy who was calling the front and the coverage called cover called fronts and coverages that weren't wed to one another. So you can't speed up Joe Burrow and play off-man coverage. Okay? You can't send extra rushers at Kirk Cousins and then have a soft zone behind it. That's That happened over and over and over again, and including in these playoffs. So that's the big issue right there, is that it wasn't one unit. Whether it goes front to back, back to front, I don't think it really matters as long as, as, long as what's happening up front, the guys in the coverage unit understand what it is and are complementing that. When the front and the back end don't complement one another and you've got one guy making the calls, you lose trust. And then also I think there's something to be said for Steve. I mean, look at his football card. He's played, He's coached for 25 years. He's had 23 jobs in 25 years. So, you know, he, his tendency is that he moves around. I don't know why. I wouldn't begin to. I'll say this. I liked him. I found him to be um, direct and and easy to deal with. It didn't um, feel like there was a problem with the players. Felt like the players liked him as well. I, I I don't have any examples where that's not the case, though. There are some examples of 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 some of the Niner linebackers saying that they wanted him on the field. That there was some communication difficulty with him up in the booth, but that has probably more to do with what they were used to than anything. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think Steve's a good, good man, good coach will get another job, but, um, there's something that about him that makes him keep moving every other year. So I think we both agree that, you know, as we look through the forest of defensive coordinators, uh, Bill Belichick would be the 12 point buck that you would like to shoot mount and hang on your wall if that could happen but it's probably not going to or certainly drifting into the lane of unlikely to happen so a couple more outside of the family options what about pete carroll what do you think pete carroll's doing I, th- I think Pete Carroll is is too old at this point. I mean, okay. I know, okay. I, I mean, and it's it's year to year. But, I mean, it's it's case by case. But I just get the feeling, and I've asked about, I've asked uh, around to some people who know Pete Carroll, and they said that you know Pete's not gonna not not in a rush to join Kyle down here. Okay, that he that he's not thrilled with the way things ended up there, but probably is not going to coach again. I'm saying maybe like a, a spite hire, you know, a, a, a spite job for, for Pete Carroll. If he's really angry about how it ended up in Seattle, um, Mike Vrabel, obviously kind of is a name that a lot of people didn't think would be left standing when the game of coaching musical chairs ended. Mike Vrabel is available. Um, what do you feel about his name being attached to this? I haven't seen much of it at all. Well, I mean, I, I love that name. I, I think Vrabel's a very, very good coach, uh, Titans head coach, 
Texans defensive coordinator. He has coordinated a defense before. I also kind of think like one of the key free agents that the Niners are going to try to sign this offseason is probably Aziz Al-Shair. He just coached him in Tennessee. Maybe that helps um, Vrabel's candidacy a little bit. But I definitely could see them making a big play for Aziz just because he knows the system. Um, he was on the sideline for the Green Bay game. Um, I think they might go after him. Another name that I've seen, it's it's sort of a, yes, he'd be coming from outside the house, but he'd actually be coming back inside the house. When D'Amico left to take the Texans job, he took Chris Kiffin with him to coach linebackers. Chris Kiffin, maybe coming back to San Francisco, elevated to defensive coordinator. What do you think of that name? Obviously, his brother is Lane. His father is Monty. Defense runs in the family's veins. I mean, there's a real trust there. He was just here not that long ago. He also was the guy who handpicked Aziz Al-Shair and brought him to the Niners as an undrafted free agent. So once again, if, if you're trying to get Aziz, um, Chris Kiffin makes sense. He doesn't have a lengthy history at defensive coordinator, but he has done it. And he was with the Niners for two years. He knows their culture. He knows their defense. Uh, he knows what it looked like under Sala. Um, very popular, I'm sure, with John Lynch, who played for Monty Kiffin. So, yeah, I think Chris Kiffin, uh, his name is absolutely on the short list. And to keep it internal, again, one of the problems with Steve Wilkes is that, you know, he didn't come in with a system to plug in, but he never quite got the system that he was plugging himself into. A man who completely understands the system. And I know as a position coach that you and I have been talking about how good he is for years now is Chris Kasurik. Is Chris Kasurik even interested in doing more in his coaching career than defensive line coach? Or is he that kind of sort of Jim Tom Sula, happy to be where I am, don't really want to be more than what I am type of coach? And there's nothing wrong with that. There's yeah. some guys who know who they are and what they are, and they do this really well, and they don't want more on their plate. They just want to do what they do well. Is that where Chris Kasurik lives? You know, I would never want to speak definitively for the man because obviously I'm not him and I don't know exactly how he's feeling in the moment, but I think you're right. I think you've pegged that perfectly. I mean, I think, I think he's, he's great at what he does and doesn't want to do too much more. I think he would be, you know, he's a phenomenal D line coach, but you know, here's the one thing that I didn't like this year is I didn't like the fact that even though he was a tremendous D line coach, um, you know, Steve called all the action up front. Steve called all the games up front. And I don't I don't think they were quite well as well choreographed or as well timed or as um as useful as they've been in the past. So I'd like to see Chris take that over, but I, I think he's a D line coach. I don't think he wants to be a DC. Is there a name we haven't gotten to that you would like to insert into this conversation right here and right now? Yeah, there's a couple. I mean, uh, Daniel Bullock's is interesting. He's been with the Niners for a while. He's 40. He's their DB coach. He has no play calling or DC experience, but he does have the trust of Kyle. They do try to build from within. He's one name. Nick Sorensen is another name. He's their defensive passing game coordinator. And, you know, he was Jacksonville's special teams coordinator. So he's been a coordinator before, but not a defensive coordinator. He has no DC experience. Um, he's specifically tied to the defensive backfield. 
Uh, he's only been a Niner assistant for two years, but he's a guy that I think a lot of people are impressed with. Brandon Staley, the ex-Chargers um, head coach, was the Rams' defensive coordinator when they went to the Super Bowl. I think his you know name what? is out there. So it felt like his name was attached to the job early in this search and then has become detached from it, almost based on negative public reaction to the name Brandon Staley being attached to this position. It, it's it, it it's certainly something that fans were like, no, 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 no. But there's another guy who could probably, you know, the, the case got, could be made. He's yeah. a very good defensive coach, and that's where he should have topped out. And being a head coach was too much of an ask, and he was way too aggressive and kind of shot himself in his own foot there. Yeah, so he's, you know, I mean, the last game that he was a, a head coach for the Chargers, his defense gave up 63 points to the Raiders. So, I mean, there's, you know, if you're only as good as your last show or his last game, he ain't that good. Um, but, you know, he does have success with the Rams and um, as a defensive coordinator. And maybe, you know, some guys top out a coordinator and they're really good. I mean, you um, you think of North Turner, really good offensive coordinator. Dave Wanstead, really good defensive coordinator. But when they were asked to be head coaches, they eh, not so much. Buddy so Ryan. Buddy Ryan um, and and others, Richie Pettibone, and you can go way way back. Um, but yeah, I I would say the only other name out there, the kind of a, a a fast you know on the fast track to head coaching success is the Titans cornerback coach, the former slot corner Chris Harris who played at uh, University of Arizona and was always a really good player for Denver. Um, he's now the Titans cornerback coach, and a lot of people feel like he's a, he's going to be a very good NFL head coach at some point. So, um, you know, the fact is he, he could be a defensive coordinator kind of in the same line as Aaron Glenn, who had a real good year this year as the Jets defensive coordinator who went right from playing into the league, coordinating the secondary, and now is a D.C. and a good one. So they're saying Harris is in that same on that same track. So those are the guys. Chris Kiffin, Chris Harris, Chris Kacharek, Brandon Staley, Nick Sorensen, Daniel Bullocks, Mike Vrabel, Bill Belichick. There might be a couple other names out there. I think Kansas City's secondary coach might be considered. Uh, there might be a couple other names that we're not we're not a privy to, but um, to me, go get Belichick. Go get Belichick. Belichick is the one that will make everybody go. Okay, now you've got your defense solved. And now let's see what 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 the rest of the offseason looks like. <laughs> if 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 I could work a little blue on this President's Day, Bill Belichick would be the ultimate. We ain't fucking around. Higher, be awesome. It'd be awesome. And he he would have to talk to the media every now and then. But you know, I mean, even that, I I think it works because I think there's I think you can make the money work if you want. I don't think his options are great. I mean, look at your your Bill Belichick. You've got a year or two, let's say here, after your 24-year awesome run in, in New England. What do you want to do? You're not going to coach in college. There are no more head coaching jobs available this year. There's no guarantee you'll get one next year. Right. Do you want um, to coach? You've coached every year in the NFL since 1975, and it's like, what would you rather do? Would you rather yuck it up on TV with Clarissa Thompson and and Richard Sherman or whatever, or would you rather work for Kyle Shanahan and potentially win a Super Bowl? And to me, if I'm and I've thought this through, I think he's going to choose the latter. 
And I think the Niners are going to have interest, and I think they're going to work it out. And I, I know people are thinking, oh, you're crazy, you're crazy, you're crazy. You know, come back to me in a few weeks. I, I, I think this could get done. The other thing that I've got for you here, Larry, and then we'll, we'll kind of like start kicking the can down the road on a few other things other than just football and the NFL and 49ers. Um, you know, Kansas City, and this is, okay, this is not sour grapes. This is not complaining, okay? I just want to establish that. But Kansas City has gone to three Super Bowls here without a single holding call against an offensive line uh, in any of their Super Bowls. And that's, you know, that's a, that's a large enough sample size to say that they've probably gotten away with one or two holds along the way. Well, I saw that J.J. Watt was talking about, and and J.J. Watt might know a thing or two about offensive lines, holding, and so on and so forth. J.J. Watt has an idea that he thinks could fix the NFL's league's holding penalty, and uh, Athlons is saying it makes sense. Again, this isn't me. This isn't a 49er website. This isn't a 49er content creator saying this. This is Athlons, and I want to read it to you. Super Bowl 58 saw several missed holding calls, mostly against the 49ers in favor of the Kansas City Chiefs that directly impacted the game's outcome. Not me, not Larry saying that. A third party, neutral third party said that. Who who said that, by the way? I mean, you, does, I is there an it. author? It's in that. No, I don't have the author's name. I'm sorry. I didn't okay. write that. Wrong. That's all right. Um, Where are you getting it? Twitter? Athlons, yeah, it's from it's from Athlons Twitter handle. Gotcha. Uh, it's JJ Watt saying that he thinks the league should lessen the holding penalty from from ten to five yards. He thinks doing so would result in a lesser detriment to the offensive impact while encouraging referees to call it more when it's presented. In other words, referees know that a ten yard penalty is a stifling thing to give to an offense, and so they're hesitant to do it. If the penalty were less punitive, the application of the rule would be applied more often. I don't disagree with that. Now, well, it, all, it all speaks to some like inner voice pushing for more offense, right? Because it's like, so you're basically saying that the refs um, are seeing holds, not calling holds, because they're motivated to either stay away from anti-offense, anything that suppresses offense, or just kills game flow, um, which could hurt Super Bowl ratings, which could hurt revenue. So, I mean, I hear what you're saying. I think it's an interesting point. Um, it's it's just it's it's a weird thing. I mean, I mean, let's just go back. Super Bowl Fifty Four. Bosa was held pretty routinely in that game. The Niners made a big stink of it. The next year, it's KC and Tampa. KC got held, or uh, KC got called for a bunch of holds in that game, and Tampa won the game. And it was like you, you're watching that as a Niner fan, going, "Weren't some of these holds last year?" And now here we are, Super Bowl Fifty Eight. I mean, how many times have you ever, in all your years of watching the NFL? seen an offensive tackle get away with a bear hug where you're not just hooking a guy with one arm that you're literally you're wrapping. surround you're wrapping him up i mean it's a you know it's it's uh it's two people dancing at a high school slow dance i mean it's just it looks awful um you know so i don't know i mean i don't i don't i'm not i hate the complaining about the calls um i really do 
But, I mean, what the heck? Why invest uh, money in any defensive end if you're just going to allow either quarterbacks to release the ball after two steps and negate their entire rush, or if you're just not going to call holding? I mean, is it likely that Jawan Taylor and Donovan Smith who led the NFL this year in holding penalties. Jawan Taylor had 20, 20, seven more than the second-placed uh, uh, offensive lineman. He had 20 penalties. But you're telling me in the biggest game of the year against Nick Bosa and Chase Young, who were having a tremendous first half, that those guys did not get called for, for one hold the entire day? Trent Williams was caught Trent, holding. Trent but, Williams was caught holding, but these guys weren't. And then we have an example of literal bear hugs. I mean, it's just it it just I'm not it's you can call it sour grapes, but it just it's what it is is just inconsistent officiating from year to year. And I think I think most people, most like baseball players, hey, what do you think of umpires? They're fine either way. Whatever, pick your zone. I don't care if it's high, low, in, out. Just be consistent. Right. And they're all nine innings. And where was the consistency? I mean, how do you allow Jawan Taylor to bear hug Nick Bosa? I mean, and you didn't see that. Nobody saw that. You know. I mean, it's just. You know. I mean. Um, so whatever. So, I think JJ Watt might be onto something. Make it less punitive. If that means it'll be enforced more often, I'm fine with that. Another thing I would like to see the NFL do is get away from this ridiculous, oh, that's a pass interference call that was 55 yards. Make that the spot foul that it is in college. For, you know, 15 yards and a first down. Well, get ready for guys to wrap guys up then. You know, I mean, do you really want to see that? I don't think the league wants to see that. Do you really want to see... Uh, defensive backs just wrapping up the NFL's best wide receivers on all the deep throws because that's what's going to happen. Anything past 15 yards, if you're afraid, you're just especially inside of two. It's got to be some somewhat tied to time because what happens if you you can't have somebody wrapping up receivers at the end of games and taking 15 yard penalties. You know what I mean? Instead of spot fouls on deep right, or balls, maybe maybe that comes with like so. Your next series, you get five downs or something. I hear what you're saying. You need to be, it needs to be more punitive to just prevent any and all Hail Marys for all time. Just, I'm going to tackle you at the 20 yard mark. I, I like, I get it. I know what you're saying, but like maybe the final five minutes of each half, maybe it's a spot foul, but otherwise it's a 15 yarder, something like that. Or maybe, how about this? If you, how about this? Maybe it's tied to the particular defender, and um, and you know you the first one you get is a is a fifteen yard, um, the second one's a spot foul, and the, there's spot fouls after that, you know something to, because you know what sucks is that it you're you're taking an official's call, and you're making it one of the biggest plays of the game. It's kind of the reason that. Uh, there's soccer uh, you know refs that are getting attacked in their homes because the penalty shots are so punitive and and award such easy scoring opportunities in a sport where you otherwise have a real hard time scoring so they're they're they have a huge impact on the final who wins and who loses 
I, you know, I think the whole purpose of your switch here is to have less impact, not more, right? So, you know, that, that's they got to come up with something. But I would be in favor of something because a spot foul on a, you know, I mean, and it becomes like, hey, it's almost like, hey, you got third and fifteen, just throw, just throw a deep ball and have your guy underthrow it, and tell him I'm going to underthrow the deep ball, run off and come back. And the defender has very little way of getting out of the way without, without you know, committing the penalty there. It's almost like the high percentage play right now is the underthrown deep ball on, you know, third and 20. Why not? Uh, so one place where scoring isn't a problem, Larry, is an NBA All-Star game. I, I'm ready to shift gears here for the, the, the last lap of the show. You, you, you ready to sure. do a few other things? Yeah. Did you watch any of that, man? Did you watch? I did. I watched a little bit of it. It's terrible. Only leave it to the NBA to make the alley-oop boring. I mean, really, that's what they've done. The NBA has turned some of the greatest athletes in the world performing incredible highlights into the most boring highlight reel that isn't a highlight reel for anyone at all because nobody's playing defense. And for the first time, we saw Adam Silver nearly yell at an all-star game. Did you see what happened? Did you see what happened? Did you stick around for the trophy presentation at all? No, no, no. What did he do? Uh, Last night, the NBA all-star game went to the East 211 to 186, the final score. And all week long, Adam Silver had basically billed this as a return to competition. We're going East versus West. We're going to have these guys play defense like a real basketball game is going to break out in this year's all-star game. And quite the opposite happened. It was an abortion in terms of, you know, just it, it was a commercial for everything that is wrong with the sport of basketball. It was Guys clearly not trying hard, not playing, not running, deciding that this game isn't important. Um, If it's not going to be important to the players, they're not going to play well. And this game clearly isn't important to the players. They've even admitted that, some of them. Um, and, And we'll talk about some of the responsibility falling on these old heads who are not going to the whip hand like they should against Generation TikTok, who decided, yeah, we're just going to roll it out there and see what happens. Um, but basically, Adam Silver got the, the trophy and he hands it to Giannis, who was the captain of the Eastern. Dame Lillard won his uh, the, the All-Star Game MVP. But he hands the congratulations, you just guys won the game trophy to Giannis and says, well, and to the Eastern Conference All-Stars, you scored the most points. Congratulations. <laughs> in other words, you guys just finished first in a nobody wanted to watch this. You're all bitches contest. Congratulations. It was it was one of the biggest fuck yous to an all-star game a commissioner has ever put out there. The East shot 97 threes. 97 threes and made 42. They made 43% from beyond the arc as a team. That's amazing, man. Halliburton shot 10 of 14 by himself. What a, what a 
first five in a row. Indiana was going nuts there for a little bit. Oh and my god! Eastern Conference All Stars, you scored the most points. Well, congratulations. That is Adam Silver basically saying, "Fuck you guys." I, I'll say this. I mean, my I don't know what the TV ratings looked like. It's obviously not a game made for me. But I'll say this: my my senior in high school got together with a bunch of his buddies uh, at a friend's house and watched it. So, you know, I mean, uh, the, the you know example there of kids who who wanted to see it. So hey, you know what? God bless them. I mean, I'll say this: it didn't bother me as as much as past All Star games because it was aesthetically more like a game. And I, I, I feel I feel bad in some ways for the players because it's like there's no way to win. There's no way to win. It's like um, nobody wants to get hurt, okay? But in the past, it's just been a dunk fest, but with nobody playing any defense. This time, they said, hey, guys, it looks terrible. Balance the floor, make a couple passes, and then shoot a three. And that's what they did. They balanced the floor. They made a couple passes. They shot a three. They shot nine, 97 for the East, 71 for the West. <laughs> That's a freaking ton. Well, you 170, <laughs> roughly 170 threes in a game. I mean, that's just ridiculous. It's, uh, so, it's the dunk so, I mean, contest is devoid of big names. Oh, the dunk contest. I mean, but come for, on. you know, the Steph Curry, Sabrina three-point contest, uh, there was nothing memorable about All-Star Saturday night. There was certainly nothing memorable about the All-Star game itself. Anthony Edwards, who uh, is having a fabulous year for the Minnesota Timberwolves. He basically said the, the quiet part out loud saying for me, it's an all-star game. So I will never look at it as being super competitive. It's always fun. I don't know what they can do to make it more competitive. I don't know. I think everyone looks at it. It's a break. So I don't think anyone wants to come here and compete. Oh, the, the, the compete. I mean, <laughs> that, come on the, nobody. I mean, if you can, if you even said you were going to compete, they wouldn't even want you there. I'll say this. When when I was a little kid, I can remember, you know, watching the NBA All-Star game. And one of the things I loved was they wore their actual uniforms. Yep. I mean, wh wh what's the problem with the unis, guys? We can't go white whites for the home and and uh, colored uniforms for the road teams and. We have to we have to all wear the same uniform and well, not and be I, able to identify what what teams anybody's on. I'm I, I, I want to see. Uni, I'm a huge uni snob, and I actually thought that the all star uniforms were okay. They weren't bad. They weren't gaudy. I, I thought that they were, uh, you know, they were fine. But yeah. I'm just saying, why not have their own uniforms? That's one. Two. Everybody used to do their signature move. So, you know, for Dirk, it was the step back. And for Tim Hardaway, it was the crossover. You want to go old school. It was George Gervin, you know, uh, with the finger roll. And there was a little razzle-dazzle, but it was, I don't know. I, I there, was, there, were some, there were elements of this game I really enjoyed. Like, I really enjoyed that back and forth uh, when, when um, Jokic and Doncic kind of brought they went back and forth passing the ball without dribbling it the mm -hmm. whole length of the floor 
I thought that was kind of a cool-looking little thing. I mean, that's almost kind of like a high school drill, the weave, the three-man weave where nobody really ever dribbles, and you just pass, 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 pass. That was kind of cool. They kind of ran their two-man weave back and forth. Um, It seemed to be a little bit more aesthetically pleasing to me because guys took threes and guys guys took jumper, you know, perimeter shots. It wasn't just... You know, there's nothing more tired than driving when nobody wants to stand in front of anybody who's driving. So that looks really bad. And so, like, one year they didn't balance the floor at all. That looked like the worst of all time, and people were like, call off the game. Then the next year they they went with, you know, everybody's going to drive and dunk. But there was that looks really bad because it just it just nobody wants to stand in front of anybody. This game there was no D, but it looked more aesthetically pleasing because at least they balanced the floor and shot threes. It didn't yeah, look it didn't it. look bad. Like watching it, you didn't sit there and go, "What the heck is this?" Oh, I, but, I thought it was jogging in between the free throw lines, embarrassing for the entire game of basketball. Like, but I, it was I, a I, bunch I, of threes. You know what I mean? They shot a yeah. ton of threes. I mean, they had to set the record by twenty five threes, right? More, right? More. It was ridiculous. All I can tell you is that this league misses Kobe Bryant. Because Kobe Bryant, you know, they say what you want. Here's the thing. Mamba mentality was more than a T-shirt, you pussies. He really wanted to come out and beat you, to compete against you. He wanted to play defense against you. And he wanted it more than any one of you. And, and I, literally, this is going to, I don't know if anyone else is coming down anyone's road like this today, but I will. I'll be the bad guy. You know who's at fault here? Who? LeBron, Kevin Durant, and Steph Curry. Why'd you let your league go soft, boys? Why'd you let your league go soft? You are the old men in the room. You are supposed to be the direct tie to forget about how you think it is, Anthony Edwards. You think it's a vacation and a break and no one wants to compete. You fucking pussy. We are all-stars. We are the greatest basketball players in the world. And we're going to go out here and we're going to put on a show and we're going to do that with a little bit of defense. And LeBron and Steph Curry and Kevin Durant have seeded the league to team rests tonight I, to me it's up to the old guys to set the standard and they have failed in that regard kobe bryant would literally have been out there with a bullwhip cracking it over motherfuckers if he had been in that game and i miss kobe bryant that's all I'm i don't say. know I, I i hear you but i mean to me it's that's unfair to put it on those three guys I would say, because um, they don't control this whole league, just because they're the best players, just because they're the veteran players, that, that nobody has that kind of voice or control. I would say um, find out whatever it's going to be that that the players will play hard for and put that on the line. You know, I mean, they've tried charities. They've tried, I mean, to... Does nobody have anything they're passionate about no, at all? No, there's nothing but selfish agendas going on all across the board. And this game is what coming to Chase Center in 2025. Is it here next year? I think we couldn't. We couldn't. I like the return to the East versus West. I mean, they they tried the picking teams like that. That was really tired. That was really tired. It's like who cares? Like, and then 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 they then then they were too sensitive. Remember. Because like people didn't want to be picked last, so then they had to like do a secret, 
Like they didn't tell us who was picked right, in what right. order. They yeah, they did. No one wanted to be the last guy. Picked. I mean, just ridiculous. Um, you know, it's okay. Fourth graders can be the last guy picked on the on the uh, schoolyard, but NBA players making millions can't possibly yeah. be the last guy picked. I, I just think. How about this? How about how about you know an all or nothing, and get get some charity that they're super interested in, and that's it. All or nothing. Play for your charity. How hard do you play? And then, then you can at least you can answer to the people in your charity of why you dogged. And then it's then at least is directly on you. And you know, you're pick a charity that's meaningful to you and have a hundred percent of the proceeds go to the winning charity, you know, the side who's you know, the whoever wins and they're the charity that they chose. And then let the, if they want a dog, they can dog and for their own charity. I mean, it's like I mean, to me, I don't know, I don't know what else you can do. Um, I like the format of, of East versus West. I would like to see the uniforms. Um, I like that more than the, you know, U S world or, or picking teams or I hate, you know, anything like that. It just seems like, you know, is this about the fans at all? I mean, I don't know. It seems like, you know, I don't know. It's, I, I would love to see them come up with something that they care about and then, and then play play kind of hard i mean is it that hard to play kind of hard uh for a game it's amazing how how you know i mean the i think a magic in in that all-star game and i think i think it was in orlando in 92 i think it was it was like one of the best all-star games ever he hadn't played all year he had hiv there was questions whether or not he anybody wanted him to play and you know we did we knew so little about what was going on and you know, there were guys that I'm sure didn't like the fact they were going to have to rub up against um, Magic, even though it probably had no impact. Um, so there was a lot of fear and a lot of, you know, but that was an incredible all-star game. But they played it out, you know, I mean, or at least, you know, the one thing about the old all-star game, the old all-star games in the in the 70s and 80s, they would do a lot of razzle dazzle, but then they would buckle down with about seven, eight minutes left to play in each half and kind of play hard, you know. So Our, it was uh, it was a combination of of uh, moves and guys playing real basketball. This is there's no real basketball in this. All I can how about see. how about how about the one that did you see Tatum or uh, uh, Adebayo throw it off of Jokic's back? Yes. Yeah. And that's like, that's funny. That's like, that's a good little all-star moment. But then uh, the fact that Jokic doesn't even bother playing any defense on the other end of the floor. Like I just, it just, all I could see with every single play that I saw in that game was the Kobe Bryant gif where he just shakes his head and goes soft. Whole, <laughs> yeah. league, whole league is fucking soft. The whole league is. And I'm sorry, I am putting it on the old guys in the room to set a standard. It's up to you. It's up to you. Because if you let the young guys in the room set the standard, that's the game we're watching. The we ain't here to play hard. I'm not here to get hurt. I'm only here so I don't get fined. That is the standard under which this game is being played right now. And it's substandard because of it. So um, act accordingly. We need a veteran in the room to call out all these young, total, soft-bellied, all-stars um our friend carl kelsick good morning carl is in the uh chat and he says no one wants to blow out a knee for an all-star game i'm going to suggest that you can watch every single basketball game for the rest of this year you're not going to see a single blown out knee 
Like the injuries, catastrophic injuries do not happen on a basketball court with regularity. And if you're that worried about it, don't accept the bid to the game. It's just that simple. Um, I, I know what we got. Uh, I I, I want to talk a little bit about here spring training, but Larry, I'll say I will say that though the players do play. I mean, they do show up. It's not like they don't show up in the NFL. They beg out. I mean, now there's no game, but I mean, you know, what I'm saying at least in the NBA, the commissioner has enough juice where he can get all the players to show up. Well, again, why anyone would actually buy a ticket to an all-star game. I mean, you just want to be on Instagram yourself. That is the worst sporting event to spend a lot of money on in the uh-huh. world. Seriously. Um, All right. I do want to get into a little spring training here, Larry, and we'll keep it a very little spring training. But first, I know you got a whole bunch of starred uh, comments in the chat. Let's get to those. First of all, I got to I got to I got to I got to yell at the chat here. There's so there's so many people that are just, you know, badly want to drag Kyle Shanahan. It's like it's and they're all parked in this chat. You know, all, all, I mean, it's so sad. It's like, OK, to what end? To what end? So and after you're done with your petulant baby crying, then what? You're going to fire him. You want to fire him and you want to go to who? Kyle Shanahan is trash. He sucks. It's all on Shanahan. OK, fine. You want him out now. Now what? You, you know, you've, you've torn down the, the head coach. You got him out of there. Now, who do you want? Who do you want? Who's who's this awesome magic coach that's going to save them and, and vault them to the top? <laughs> Here we go. Everyone's worst nightmare. I'm team drag Kyle. He sucks. All caps. <laughs> I mean, it's like, go ahead. Go ahead. Everyone's worst nightmare. Who's your pick? Who's your head coach? We'll wait for you. You know what you should do? This should be good. This should be good. You know what you should do? You know what you should do? You should hire Andy Reid and trade for Patrick Mahomes. See if the Chiefs are available to do that. Oh, oh, that's not that you don't have that? That's unavailable? Then shut the fuck up. (laughs) I mean, really. Uh, Is this true? T-Dubs says Grant and Lowell were calling for his firing yesterday. Grant Really? That's the only lever they have. That's the only lever they have. Calling for a firing or a benching is all of those. That's all the two of those guys are able to do. They don't know how to talk about football like actual people who cover the sport. So it's the same ridiculous, never going to happen talking point. Again, there there is no sport in the world that proves two guys don't know what they're talking about as much as football has proven the cones don't know what they're talking about. Well, we just can't. We just can't get beyond. We just cannot ever get beyond. Um, you lost the Super Bowl, and the head coach should probably return, and the quarterback should return. It's like, it's like, no, I demand change. Isn't that how we wound up with Tom Sula and Chip Kelly? The demand for change, because what Harbaugh wasn't good enough because he couldn't beat the Ravens. Harbaugh wasn't good enough at forty-four nineteen and one. Now you had to have a new head coach. Is Kyle Shanahan the perfect head coach? No. Did he make mistakes in the Super Bowl? Sure. Um, but do I want to run him out for another head coach? I may someday, but not today. Well, and here's um, the thing: you can you can 
You can live in the world that you want to live in, or you can live in the world that's actually happening. There is no actually happening world where Kyle Shanahan isn't head coach week one next year. So to just talk about that as if that's the only goal of you as a fan, you are basically just stop being a Niners fan. Well, I mean, it, and it's if like, you, I don't like to talk about support the team. People get mad at me because I've talked about Belichick and they're like, shut up about it. It's never going to happen. Okay. If you're going to tell me to shut up about Bill Belichick as the defensive coordinator, cause it's not going to happen. Then I got to tell you to shut the fuck up for saying that, you know, Kyle Shanahan should be, you know, should be, uh, you know, the, that Brock Purdy should be benched or that Kyle Shanahan should be fired because that ain't happening either. So there you go. All right, let's on that you note. Just shut up, Larry. Shut I up. wish you would just shut up about it. Larry, you, sh you, you yeah. shut up. Larry, yeah, you shut up, Larry. <laughs> <laughs> All, All right, right, here we go. Frank Tom Ocean has become a YouTube member. Every time I see Frank Tom Ocean, I think of Billy Ocean. I don't know why. Get out of my dreams. <laughs> Laura Taylor, what are your thoughts on Xavier Leggett? Look at that. Um, you came to the right place because you know I do have thoughts on Xavier Leggett. Um, what can you tell us about Xavier Leggetti? Yeah, I love him. He's about 230 pounds. He's a wide receiver um, um, at uh, South Carolina. 6'3", about 230, fifth-year senior, kind of a throwback wide receiver, I mean, to a to a different era. I mean, he's a gigantic physical X receiver who bullies defensive backs at the top of the stem and, and just just does what he wants. I mean, he's a little bit of a late bloomer. Um you know he's 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 a force though he's a force and i'm eager to see what he runs because at 220 pounds if he runs sub four five you know he might be he might be your brandon Ayuk replacement do you like um, it do you, i mean he's he's mr yak yard right yeah big catch radius this guy runs away from you uh, he'll run through you. He's he's you know in a lot of ways he'd be a perfect niner because he's a very physical run blocker, um, and he's a guy that you know the niner receivers run across the middle of the field, and that's what this guy does. Look at it this way: Can you get him in the second or third round, Larry? That's the question because yeah. the first yeah. pick of the draft has got to be got to be an offensive lineman for the 49ers. The only concern I would have is that there's only one year of awesome production at South Carolina. Other than that, he didn't have incredible production, but um, his pre-draft will be huge. The workouts, uh, the the you know what he does in Indy. But you're talking about six six one long arms, two hundred and twenty seven to two hundred and thirty pounds with the ability to run away from you. So if he runs anything like low sub low four fours. He's probably going to be a late first or an early second. Thank you, Laura. There you go. Appreciate that, Laura. That was outstanding. Um, we've got this one from Moises Rosales. Where do you see Kalia Davis and Bradley Beal? Not Bradley Beal. Uh, Robert Beal Jr. Robert next Beale year. Uh, Kalia, I just see in the mix. Beal, I think, has starter potential, but he's a ways away as well. I mean, 
Uh, he couldn't get on the field very much this year, but the guy is 6'4", 250, and he's fast. I'll tell you, the, the, the guy who could solve some defensive line problems is already on the team, and his name's Drake Jackson. Yeah. If he if he could get a rolling, there's no question. Moises Rosales is can Jair Brown and, and Talanoa Hafanga both start next year? Well, Hafanga's got an injury that probably will make him sidelined to begin the year. Um, but you saw Jair in the Super Bowl play well and have that pick. I think, yeah, I think Jair can play the deep middle, and I think Afonga can play in the box. So, yes, I do believe they can play together. I do think the 49ers will get another box safety, um, and I think they'll let Gibson go this offseason. So um, you expect another safety. But, yeah, eventually Jair and Afonga could start together. James Foster, if you really rewatch the game, the Chiefs' sideline was any jumping a ch- – the chief sideline was jumping and cheering when the 49ers went on an eight-minute drive and were four yards from a touchdown. There wasn't any jumping and cheering, probably. Um, yeah, I mean, the Niners had it. If the Niners get that third and four for a first down, they're winning the game on a short field goal. You know, I mean, simple as that. That was a huge monumental stop by Spagnolo's defense, a major play by by McDuffie and by um, by Chris Jones. I mean, Chris Jones was fantastic. Jordan Pena, that fumble that McCaffrey gave up did not put points on the board for the Chiefs, so that didn't mean anything. Oh, no, I don't think you can look at it as it didn't mean anything. It meant an awful lot. It meant that took you took away didn't... a score. Yeah, yeah, it took away a score in a in a in a game that finished a one score game. So I mean, it I think it meant a lot, and it just it's it was an ominous tone, Larry. I mean, McCaffrey had spent zero time basically fumbling this year, and for him to get to the biggest game of the year and make his biggest mistake of the year, it just it set the entire tone of that game back because they were they were hot knife through buttering the Kansas City Chiefs in that opening drive. Everything was going smoothly until that fumble. There was a lot of there was a lot of uh, momentum shifts that in this game. I mean, that was one of them. Losing Greenlaw on a, just running on the field was another kick to the gut. I mean, there were some really tough plays in this game. Bad Bad X Mike says, "How do you feel about about the refs not flagging a single call on Casey's O line?" Personally, I feel that the refs are partly to blame but not noticed. I mean, it's loser talk to talk about it, but we all saw it. I mean, the bear hug. I mean, seriously, yeah, I don't see too many bear hugs that don't get called in the NFL. But I'm not going to sit here and and point to that as why the Niners lost. I just, I just can't. I can't. It's just not in me. James Foster says Debo can be cut next year with sixteen to seventeen million dollars in cap savings. You know what? Had Debo and and George Kittle and Brandon Ayuk had huge games and you could bring it down to just, it was one play here or there that could have gone. It was, I don't, I don't think you can blame the officials. It wasn't good. It wasn't a good look for the officials that no holding was called, but that's, that's not where the game got decided. Yeah. I mean, even if it did, I, you're not going to get me to say it. I, I just, just, I just don't think it's, I don't, I don't live my life that way going, well, the officials robbed them. I mean, if it's the last play, I mean, I I said it more in the Baltimore game in the Super Bowl um, because that was 
non-calls at the end of the game and the Jacoby Jones double hold against Bruce Miller. And there were some really, really bad calls in that game at the very end uh, that were very painful. But I don't like that whole narrative of blame the refs. 69ers says Chargers are planning to release Joey Bosa. Yeah, we talked about it. Uh, I'd be a big fan of Joey Bosa coming here. Michael Alanis, we don't need any more injury-prone players. The bulky days are long gone. Stop with the Joey Bosa fantasy. O-line, our biggest need. Um, The D-line is easily the biggest need. You have six free agents on your D-line. Your D-line is, if if all your free agents walk away, your D-line is nothing close to the D-line you had this year. So the D-line is a bigger deal. You need a tackle. Um, there's no question you need a right tackle along the offensive line. But you have Trent Williams, you have Aaron Banks, Brendel was a Pro Bowl alternate. Um, you know, I mean, they like Burford as a prospect down the road. I mean, you need you need a little help on your O line. You need a starting right tackle. But you really need is you need some you need about five good D linemen. Um, and as far as injury prone players. Balky was drafting guys like Marcus Lattimore, who had had you know major major injuries, and he was such a moron. He was drafting those guys in like the fourth round. So there's a big difference between drafting damaged good running backs who had career-ending injuries um, that you Marcus saw. Lattimore had one of the most gruesome on-field injuries I have ever seen in a football game. Balky's like, I like it. Fourth round, we need that guy. <laughs> I mean, Trent Balky's an absolute moron. Um, Michael Landis, our linebacker coach, Johnny Holland, will be the D.C. Uh, I don't believe so. I would say that's not going not gonna to happen. Kevin F. said, Damon said I'm an idiot for calling the Chiefs the favorite to win the Super Bowl at the beginning of the year. It aged well. Thanks for the content this year. Good luck with the offseason and beyond. Did you call this man, this Kevin F., an idiot for saying that the Chiefs would repeat? Do you did remember? That, uh, did, did that $10 super chat come down on your end or my end, Larry? Your end. Oh, well, then I do remember you, Kevin. And a- absolutely. It was a, it was one of the most uh, memorable highlights of my entire career here on YouTube. Uh, sorry, I got that wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Laura Taylor says, I say we mic up the refs. Let's be more transparent. We mic up players, hold them accountable. Laura, I got a better idea. How about this? If you're on the field and you impact the game, you should have to face the music that the, that everybody else faces. What we have a post game presser. Why do we not interview these guys? Everybody else gets held accountable. The coaches get fined for being frustrated with the officials, but the officials can 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 go change their clothes and walk out to their rent a car and take off. And there's zero public accountability. How about instead of miking them up, because we don't really care what they say, how about just having them address the press? And if you're really, really bad, and let then then you should have to answer for your really, really bad performance the way any wide receiver, corner, or head coach would have to answer for their really bad performance. Hmm. What do you think of that? I think it's a really good idea. I mean, there's there's nothing quite like a, a public shaming to uh, get your full attention these days. So, look, they're just, you know, accountability has to go in all directions. 
And I think the league needs to be held accountable for asking referees to do this on a part-time basis. They need to be full-time. They need to be trained across the board. I think it's a time where we absolutely mirror the collegiate um, the collegiate rules with professional rules. And there's almost like a, um, you know, what, what, what do they have in, in European soccer? Relegation. So, some officials should be NFL officials, and it's very clear that you are in over your head as an NFL official, so you maybe go get the five best graded out college officials, move them to the NFL, and take the five worst NFL officials and move them back to college, and there needs to be some sort of major league, minor league umpire system happening here where only the best and brightest make it through. I, I like that. Just no, uh, you know, it's not like like like, like so in college there are tenured professors who can't be like fired. Basically, the NFL, the officials should have to earn their spot every year. They should have to earn their spot. And and yeah, you know what? Yes, the NFL started in a mom and pop situation. It's a forty billion dollar operation now. We can have full-time officials. And people are like, well, what are they going to do all the time? Make shit up. You know what? The, there's part-time officials and non-NFL officials that officiate every single 49er practice. Have the actual officials doing that. There you go. You, what, do you, what do they do during the week? They officiate practice. Instead of having part-time officials, why not just have the actual officials at practice, there's their full-time status. Then they can be full-time guys. I mean, then why not? Um, Dale says, place betting on the ref's calls. God, that's all we need. Too much sauce says, what are the chances of a 2026 Super Bowl at Levi's Stadium? It's coming, right? Well, yeah, that, that is happening, right? That's the, ne that's the next time it's got the Super Bowl? Yeah, I'm not, is it 2026? I thought it was 2029. Maybe I'm wrong on that. We'll see on that. I don't know. Um, All I can tell you is that Levi Stadium should never host another Super Bowl. <laughs> well, the Bay Area should never host a Super Bowl. Right. The, the Bay Area is a terrible host city for because it's not a city. The Bay Area is a region where there's 50 miles between the stadium and many of the events. That's that's a non-starter. Right. Vegas was perfect. Um, you know, New Orleans next year will be great. They want to throw it in Miami. Otherwise, for, tell everybody else, congratulations on your new stadium, but no. Uh, Charles Barkley, Damon Bruce should collab with Grant and Lowell. <laughs> yeah, that would be that. I'd pay to watch that. Carson Hummel, Ayuk plus a second for a top 10 pick. Find an elite offensive tackle or cornerback. Yeah, it'd be nice to have a true number one corner especially after watching this game. Anthony, Bill Belichick as head coach, and Robert Sala as defensive coordinator. Is Sala getting dumped anytime soon? I don't think so. Yeah, and then neither is Kyle Shanahan. So, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Uh, Jeff says, Larry, let Damon know about our boy Graham Barton, <laughs> big Ooh. offensive lineman from Duke who plays okay. guard and tackle. There you go. All right. So he's a versatile Graham Barton. Graham Barton. Uh, Graham Barton is a, is a, is a decent player. I'll say that, uh, you know, I, I mean, I, I don't know what else I can say. No, I mean, Graham Barton is a, um, is a offensive lineman who, um, you know, is, 
is one of the best offensive linemen in the draft. I don't know exactly where he's going to go. I'm not sure, though, if he's a full-time offensive tackle. He may actually be kind of maybe more of a – instead of an offensive tackle, he might be more like a uh, a guard. And then if he's a guard, mm, do you want him? You know what I'm saying? It's like, you know what I mean? Do you, do you want a guard so high in the first round? Uh, that's that would be the one concern I would have for well, Graham. Is he the best offensive lineman available when the pick comes up? Because that's what I think they need to use their first round pick on the best offensive lineman available. If you're telling me you'd rather have a tackle, I'd agree with you. But if you got a guard to come in and play opposite of Aaron Banks and just no more Feliciano or Burford, you got a legit other guard. Uh, the Niners need that too. I mean, an awful lot of the pressure came right through that. Feliciano Burford opening, right? So, yeah. The only thing is, guards don't have the same value in the NFL as tackles. Um, so, to me, you know, uh, this guy played center. He played guard. I mean, the the advantage of Graham of uh, Graham Barton is that he's smart. He's huge, six five, three hundred fifteen pounds, senior. Uh, three, but was not an awesome athlete. Like only a three star recruit. And it might be more of a guard. And that's the thing. It's like the, when the Niners took McGlinchey in the top 10, it's like it was a bad pick. Why? Because you don't draft a right tackle in the top 10 typically. And that's what they did. Um, and he wasn't good against power and he wasn't great against speed. So it's like, eh, I don't know. Uh, it's not, not my, not, that would not be my, my pick. But we'll see. There we're still very early. We have to have the combine. I mean, the bottom line on all this stuff is there's some important dates coming up for for football fans. The important dates coming up are basically February 27th is the scouting combine in Indy. Uh, March 13th, free agency begins at one o'clock on the West Coast. Uh, that's also when the trade deadline or the trade market opens up. You can make trades. Um, and then of course, you know, the NFL draft is, um, is April 25th, 26th and 27th. And, uh, we'll see, we'll see where it goes from there. But those are the key dates. Um, but those are all the super chats. 21. Wait a second. Wait a second. No, we, we got, got a, a few more. come in at the end here. A couple more here at the end. Look at this. They snuck in when I wasn't looking. Uh, Anno. Kala Ono Kala K Ona K Kala Ono. It's time to replace McKivitz. Okay. I, I mean, I'm not gonna here's the thing. I also think that Colton McKivitz got a little bit of a bad rap this year. He was better than his report card says. But yes, that's an area of improvement that you would like to see the 49ers execute. Yeah. I mean, he, he wasn't like they lost the Super Bowl because of Colton McKivitz. Um, he was he was more than serviceable throughout the year. Right. It wasn't but like they, they lost Super Bowl because of Mike McGlinchey either. I think Mike right. McGlinchey is another one of those like gets kicked around more than he deserved to be. Yeah, yeah, uh, I I agree. And it was because Mike McGlinchey had one major problem: he could not kick out with enough foot quickness to beat speed rushers. Right. So what would happen is he would lunge out. And then when he lunged out and he got banged on his left shoulder, he'd be like horizontal to the ground. And then people would be like, look at Mike McGlinchey. He's horizontal to the ground. And so it was like, oh, yeah, that's bad. That's, you know, you know, that's not good. 
Um, and then suddenly, so everything, all of his weaknesses were all just one weakness that just kind of burned him in a bunch of different ways. Uh, Sam Wilson says, I got a bad feeling Brandon Ayuk is being traded in the upcoming days. This is going to be Buckner all over again. What trade compensation would be ideal for Brandon Ayuk? I would say this, like if the Raiders want him, I would want their 13th pick in the first round and Michael Mayer, the Notre Dame tight end. And I'd give you Kamla too as a, you know, I want two players. I want to, I want minimum two for one. So if, if he's going to the Raiders, I want the 13th pick and, um, and, 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 you know, that tight end. If he's Speaking going Raiders, to the, how about Jimmy Garoppolo getting popped for a little off season? You shouldn't do that. Can't take that. I know. I, that, you know, anybody who's taking performance enhancing drugs, I always wonder about. You know, I always wonder about as well. well as and it wasn't a straight up PED. It was like he was. It's 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 probably like a diuretic, or Adderall, or something that is commonly prescribed. But he did not have the common prescription for it, so that's why he got popped. Ah. Um, yeah, I don't think it would. It's not like the guy's cycling through Diana Ball. Like <laughs> yeah, you see, Jimmy, he's just freaking got these traps, and he's just. Stands alone. I'm Jimmy Garoppolo on Nandrolone. (laughs) K.O. Garoppolo. Just all neck. I'm Sean Merriman, but I look like Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, Gold Tau in the house says, is it likely that the Chiefs who led the league in drops, maybe the Chiefs play best when it matters most like champions? Is it likely that the Chiefs? Yeah. Well, yeah, that's true. Because I, I said before, hey, is it, how likely is it that a team that ha- led the league in penalties would have no penalties against a really good uh, defensive end combo? And he says, touche. They also led the league in drops, and they didn't drop the ball in this game. They what did have one. Wait. I think they did have one drop, but yeah, the, I know what you're saying. The Kansas City Chiefs played an up-and-down regular season and then their best football of the year once they hit the playoffs. Why? Don't know, but that's what happened. Yeah. 49ers basically did it the other way around. 49ers played their best football in the regular season, and some of the worst football that we saw from them happened in the postseason. So it's amazing they kind of reached the Super Bowl under those circumstances, to be totally honest with you. Um, by the way, a guy named Alan Smith uh, says, you guys aren't winning with Shanahan. Okay, real quickly, let's just examine that for how you wrote it. Now, if you want to say you that guys... Means he's a fan of another team. If you haven't won a Super Bowl with Kyle Shanahan, no one could argue that, right? They have not won a Super Bowl with Kyle Shanahan. But in terms of winning, there is no team in the NFL that has won more with its head coach since 2019, but for the Kansas City Chiefs and Andy Reid. So if winning is the standard by which you hold Kyle Shanahan, he wins more often than all head coaches but one over the last four years. So what do you really want? Because yeah, I mean, we all know what they want. They want they want to win the Super Bowl, and they're going to hold Kyle accountable until they right. do, and that's fair. That's fair. An awful lot of winning to lose a Super Bowl, right? Well, you can't say they don't win big games. That was the you don't win big games. Well, the NFC Championship game wasn't a big game, right? They won that. They've all won that a couple games times. Big games. All yeah. playoff games are big games. I mean, Kyle Shanahan's got a really good playoff winning percentage. Um. But the truth is the truth. He yeah. hasn't done it. You haven't done it till you've done it. Frank Tom Ocean, thoughts on Pablo Sandoval's attempted comeback. 
I don't even think he's trying to come back. I bet you the Giants called him and were like, hey, we need some uh, positive juju in camp. What do you think? Last year. Who was it last year? It was uh, Romo, right? Yes. Yeah. Right? It was Sergio Romo. Right. This year, it's Pablo. So Giants can't get any real players, so they just get, you know, as yesterday's players. When I think of uh, uh, a... a well, they did get Solaire, so way to go. When, when I think of a player who you, without a doubt, wanting to set an example for personal discipline in your clubhouse, Pablo Sandoval is not the name that comes to the top of my list. You know, I mean, I, hey, team have memories to sell you is already starting to sell you those memories here in, in in spring training, which means look out for a rough baseball season probably coming your way. I mean, if you've got to break out the panda hats before there's been one pitch of consequence thrown in a in a spring training game, you are tugging on those nostalgia strings a little too early in the game for my liking. Um, but it's fine. You know, it's a, it's spring training. I yeah. don't think he's taking away developmental at no. from anyone. Uh, it's just, it's fine. Whatever. It's the least of the Giants problems. How about just, this? Go ahead. Just go get another. I mean, come on. The Giants said they want the, their famous line of the off season was, was Charles Johnson's kid who came out and said, we want to break even. Well, you still have to spend like $40 million more to break even. I mean, they, I mean they, they, have, they haven't spent the money that they should spend. So go get Cody Bellinger. Go get, go get uh, Blake Snell. Go get whoever you need to get. I'm not a big Matt Chapman guy because I think um, I'd rather go with Casey Schmidt. But what the hell? I mean, go sign Cody Bellinger. What the hell? Go get it done. I mean, you it, that's where you said that you wanted to break even. Well, the break even point has you spending another $25 million. Go spend it. Oh, no, not according to Andrew Baggerly. Larry, uh, the Giants targeted players like Solar, charismatic center fielder Jung-Hoo Lee, and right-hander Jordan Hicks, the latter of whom who throws a triple-digit fastball that's better measured by the Geiger counter. The Giants committed $199 million to those three players this offseason, spending more free agent money than any other team but the Los Angeles Dodgers. In other words, they had the second best free agency. The, dude, I, you know, like Andy, I like Andrew Baggerly. I think you are a good baseball writer, but that is doing an awful lot of playing the house organ. Um, you can look at this lineup and see how poorly they are built. Their rotation is basically Logan Webb, and good luck with that, followed by a lineup that is Solar will hopefully hit 30 home runs, the first giant to do so since 2004. And what? Uh, a, a bunch of guys who probably not one of them's hitting better than 275. I mean, it's a rough lineup. It's a rough rotation. No matter how you look at it, no matter how much money they spend. What about the outfield? Your outfield is Jung-Hoo Lee, who's in the KBO. And once again, the KBO is the equivalent of high A or double A. You gave him $19 million a year on a six-year deal for a guy who played in the KBO. You gave him the same amount of money that the Astros are paying Jordan Alvarez, the same amount of money that Arizona's paying Corbin Carroll. 
So this guy better be freaking good. He's your leadoff hitter and everyday center fielder, and he'll be flanked on the outfield grass by Michael Conforto in left and Mike Yastrzemski in right. And do we need to do a review of what those guys did last year? Um, Conforto hit two thirty nine with 15 home runs in four, uh, 406 at-bats. That's what he did. And Yaz hit, wait for it, 233 with 15 homers. So, I mean, those are those are not – that's your corner outfield. So, I mean, and that's your outfield with, with Lee in the middle. So that's the worst outfield there is. I mean, there is no other outfield in, in the big leagues that is approaching that level of crap. Um, so, I mean, I you know, it is what it is. It's, they uh, need it's, Cody Bellinger. It's about they need somebody. The, it, it's as big of a dead on arrival baseball season as the Giants could have actually come up with. Now, because you know they are analytically inclined and they are a matchup heavy baseball team, that they will probably cobble out their seventy-five to eighty-one wins. But you're not chasing five hundred; you're chasing the Los Angeles Dodgers, and the Los Angeles Dodgers are basically, you know, their their lineup is the Blue Angels. <laughs> you know, what I mean, it's it's the, the the Dodgers have more talent in their first three hitters than the San Francisco Giants have in all three levels of their organization. Every guy, just look at it this way. Every guy in the Dodger lineup would hit third for the Giants. Think about that. That's Every true. single player that they put on the field would hit third for the Giants. So that's where they're at. Um yeah, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see what they do. I mean, um, but yeah, Farhan's got more money to spend. Hopefully, he's got more trades up, up his sleeve. Well, he's already told um, everyone. No, he's he's telling everyone who's uh, asking questions down in Scottsdale. The team is on the field, Larry. Yeah, they're, well, not making, they're, they're not really adding anything to this. This team is built. It's complete, and they like what they see. He really values that flexibility that a, a everyday major leaguer like Cody Bellinger might not provide for them. They'd rather have a flexible situation than a major leaguer. Which well, you know what? Their fans are going to feel the same way about buying tickets. I don't Don't know if I want to commit to a, to a actual purchase. I'd like the flexibility, uh, of being able to maybe walk up and, uh, and buy tickets on the day of the game. I think there'll be a lot of people that will be, you care about your flexibility. I care about my flexibility. There'll be a lot of flexing of flexibility. Uh, ono Kai Kala Ono says thoughts on Joe Alt or or uh, Fashanu uh, for Penn State. Well, Joe Alt is six foot eight, three hundred fifteen pounds. A lot of people compare him to McGlinchey. He's a Notre Dame offensive tackle. He's coming out after his after his junior year. Uh, his dad is John Alt, who was a first round pick in the mid eighties and played a decade in the NFL with the Chiefs. I like pedigree um, players. I do. Yeah. Yeah, his son Joe Walt is a you know was a tight end in high school, and he was a awesome recruit. I think he was a four star recruit. He's from the Minneapolis era. He started as a true freshman. Uh, as a sophomore, he was a thirteen game starter, first team All American. Um, he was consensus All American, dominant left tackle in twenty twenty three. So 
you know, yeah, tall guy, lean frame, but considered kind of a blue chip guy. Has, you know, may, I don't know, but we'll see. I mean, he's got great feet, um, but how much does he lock down as far as a base guy? And then as far as the other the other guy you're asking about, Fashanu, Fashanu was, was considered the number one offensive tackle, um, you know, coming into the coming into the year. Uh, and he's just a monster. He's he's only a he's a baby. He's a redshirt junior, and he's six six three twenty. Played in Happy Valley, um, just a great pass protector. Really strong hands. Um, you know, really high end player. I mean, six six three twenty. Great length. Great power. Great ability to absorb pass rushers. He's a blue chipper. I mean, he is going to be. I would say Fashanu goes in the top ten, uh, and and maybe Alt does too. So I, once again, if you want a, 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 even a chance at either of those guys, you're going to have to trade Brandon Ayuk, and get a mid first round pick, and hope that one of those guys falls. Uh, otherwise, it's just pipe pipe dream. Kyle Ben says bring in Bill Belichick as a DC trade Brandon Ayuk, Debo, or Kittle. Well. I well, think like one of those names has got to go, right? Yeah, I mean, probably. Blood Moon says Luke McCaffrey is a unique talent like Debo. Well, he's nothing like Debo, but he is uh, interesting in that he was a quarterback, played wide receiver for Rice this year for the very first time, and is had a really good year. I mean, he was all-conference. I'm interested to see how he runs when he goes to Indianapolis um, for the for the Combine. But I asked Christian about him, and he's like, man, I would love to play with him. He was all-conference. He made a number of big catches. He looked good in the uh, Senior Bowl uh, practices. Um, tough kid for sure. But I don't know that I see a special athlete as far as separation. My guess is he's going to run in the four fives and probably be a day three pick, like you know, fifth round, sixth round, something like that. I mean, he's projected to go higher, but I, I don't think so. Got, McCaffrey's got – like actual football game speed, what they might not measure in, and this doesn't count for Christian because he measures out great, but you know, I, I wouldn't bet against a McCaffrey. That's for sure. Yeah. I mean, oh, he's an NFL player. This yeah. guy's an NFL player for sure. Uh, the question is, is he a backup and, or is he a starter with upside? I don't, you know, I, I would say to me, he looks like a really, really good backup. That's what he looks like. But this, you know, uh, Niners are going to have three options as far as internal. Frank Gore's kid is in this draft, and he Jerry looks Rice. just like Frank. Jerry's kid is in this draft, and I love him. Um, Brandon Rice from SC, 6'4". Uh, we'll see how he runs, but um, there you go. Boy, that's an awful lot of pressure, by the way, right? Can you imagine you're Jerry Rice's kid and you're drafted as a Niners wide receiver? That's, that's a lot to live up to. Lots that is that is a lot. Um, I, I I guess Larry, we got to wrap up with this because again, we drifted into the concept of baseball talk, which is a concept we're going to have to get more and more familiar with, being that it is, you know, football rearview mirror. And here's the thing: when we do wake up, is a three day a week show starting on November or, uh, March fourth. Um, we're going to do a tight forty five minute show, and the first twenty minutes of every show is going to be football. Larry and I are in this for the football. You're in this for the football. So we are going to be bringing you the most up to date weekly Forty ers coverage that you can find Monday, Wednesday, and Friday on Wake Up. But every rumor, every everything that we read, I'll bring to that table. Bring to the table. 
absolutely. But then we're going to have to get into the other things that are the sports that are actually happening. And we should be in line for at least an interesting final third of the season from the Golden State Warriors. And if nothing else other than things to complain about, the San Francisco Giants will offer their version of interesting to us at some point here. That's how baseball works. So we'll find that story when it comes to us. And then there's obviously the story of the homeless A's. And that's what they are. They're not the Oakland A's. They're not the Las Vegas A's. They're the homeless A's. Um, they're back asking Oakland for more time and possibly a new lease, while at the same time they're poking around Sacramento and Salt Lake City. And there is zero concrete plan that has materialized in Las Vegas. You can show me artist renderings all you want until you got blueprints. Nobody's interested. And on top of the list of nobody's interested seems to be the city now of Las Vegas, who has gotten close enough to John Fisher to smell the rat that he is. And the closer you get to the A's, the more you realize as you're trying to do business with them, and you can take it from me as someone who used to work at a flagship station of the Oakland A's, the closer you get, the more you don't like what you see. And what a total fraud of competency they truly are as an organization on every level of doing business, from selling radio ads to building a stadium. They're not good at any of it. And the situation that John Fisher has executed for them is amazing. It's absolutely amazing the world that this franchise lives in because major league owners continue to support an owner that is totally devoid of any support at all. Personally, I would love to see them, you know, go to Sacramento temporarily and stay forever because, you know, here's the thing. Sacramento nights are beautiful and I would, I would absolutely um, go up to Sacramento and go check out an A's game at night in that stadium. It Rayleigh field right now, is in West Sac. It only, I think the capacity is like 14,000. Okay. Um, figure out a way to put 10,000 seats in that place in on some other, some other deal and have a 24,000 seat stadium. There you go. And stay there because bottom line is you've got, you, you'd pick up some fans up in Sacramento. It's a great baseball town. Uh, Major League Baseball would be supported in Sacramento because it's Major League Sports. The same way the Kings draw, they would draw up there. And um, and then, you know, as far as, um, you know, you, you look down the road, I mean, that that's a the A's fans who are A's fans can still stay A's fans. I mean, you're ta talking about how many times do you go to a baseball game? You probably go to a baseball game five, six, seven times a year, you could live in Oakland or anywhere in the Bay Area and be an A's fan and go to Sacramento five, six times a year and Cal check out some games. There. Caltrain, if you want, or if you just wanted to go and drive up there and spend the night or or drive and just drive back. I mean, heck, I, I used to drive, drive. I went to Sac State. I drove back and forth to San Francisco quite often. Uh, my daughter went to Davis. I drove up there quite a bit. My in-laws are up in El Dorado Hills. We drive up there quite a bit. It's hardly a f freaking nightmare drive. Uh, it's actually right. kind of a nice drive. As long as you're not trying to rip it off at about 4.30 on a Friday. Just avoid that travel time and you're good.
Yeah, but I mean, it's a great, that's a great spot for baseball. It's a great baseball town. The weather in Sacramento in the evening in the summertime is glorious. Much I mean, better than in Las Vegas. Much better than the Bay Area. I'd much rather. You give me July 19th. You pick a date on the calendar. Not in April. Okay, not in April because April is going to be cold. But you tell you get me like, you know, July, a July 15th night game. And I can go sit at the Coliseum or 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 Oracle Park or Sacramento. I'm choosing Sacramento every time. If there's a major league baseball game going on there, why? Because you can wear shorts and a t-shirt and you're just you're comfortable. It's it's sitting outside in Sacramento at nighttime in the summertime is wonderful. So I, I, you know, why not? Why not? And and you, at least you could keep the A's instead of instead of basically flipping the bird to all A's fans, you could basically say, hey, join us in Sacramento. They'd have new fans from up there. They'd have their old fans from down here. And I think it would be the best thing for them to do long term. Uh, much better than heading to Vegas where nobody seems to want them. Uh, it's not going to be sexy enough for John Fisher. John Fisher is looking for the best real estate deal that he can find. He can't find it anywhere. He's not going to find it in SAC. I mean, it's just, it's what really needs to happen is ownership stripped from John Fisher. He clearly doesn't know what he's doing. How many cities need to tell major league baseball, this guy is clueless before major league baseball realizes that the problem with the athletics isn't their city. It's their owner. No, it's, well, I mean, let's be honest about the A's. They have had, you know, they have been two different organizations for over a decade. On the baseball side, they're thoroughly competent. Billy Bean, David Forst, uh, they draft and develop talent. Um, they're, they're solid. On the business side, train wreck. Absolute train wreck. Wrong decisions, terrible dilapidated stadium, the wrong public message all kinds of mixed messages. The business side of the A's is a disaster. The baseball side of the A's is fine. They they need a new they need a new owner. They need a new direction. I, I kind of wish that they would force the sale to somebody like Joe Lacup, you know? Um, because Joe Lacup would figure out a way to get that stadium built. And, you know, maybe Sacramento, maybe Sacramento for like 10 years might be the perfect idea for them. They can cultivate a new fan base and then build a, a brand new stadium in Oakland and um, that's state of the art and then draw from as big a pie as the Giants draw from. I mean, there's Giants. There are people that come from Fresno and Visalia and all these valley towns drive up for the weekend they go to a giants game well the same thing could happen with the a's they could have a fan base in oakland they could have a fan base that they cultivated in sacramento they could have a brand new stadium in a decade from now with a owner that gave a damn like joe lacup and they could they could be right there you know rivaling the giants for attendance because they have now all of sacramento and the east bay so, I mean, to me, they ought to just abandon Vegas. It was a terrible idea to begin with. You're going to talk about Vegas baseball? Come on. It's hot as hell. You're going to play inside. That sucks. No. I mean, it would be much better to stay here where they've won championships, where they have fans. The economic community, right? The economic impact of the community here, you know, is obviously Oakland's not in a spot right now, 
But if maybe that could change if they forced a, a sale of the franchise and Joe was able to buy the thing and get a stadium built. I mean, the best plot of land to build on is the current stadium site where the A's play just with a brand new facility. And that's what should happen. That's convenient. That's smart. That's the best idea. And then you, you know, you, maybe that, maybe that's not ready. Maybe that's 10 years in the future. Fine. Play in Sacramento and cultivate a fan base there for, for eight to 10 years. And then, and then try to make it work in Oakland. I like that idea a whole lot better than go to Vegas and, you know, abandon the nation's what fifth largest market for Las Vegas. I mean, that's not, it's stupid. It, it was bad for the NBA to abandon Seattle for Oklahoma city. And it would be bad for MLB to abandon the Bay area as a two team market for Vegas. They should abandon John Fisher. Like and subscribe, my good friends. Great to have you here. Thank you for watching Wake Up Today. Oh, we got one more super chat in there, Larry. Boxing fan times four. Ayuk is worth a first rounder, but would any of these teams see him worth see him worth giving up a high pick like the Pats, Chargers, Giants, or Titans? Uh, and then we draft uh, Malik Neighbors. Yeah, I mean, if you could get the Giants to give their first round pick, maybe uh, maybe it's. Um, Maybe it's Ayuk and the Niners' first-round pick for uh, their top 10 pick and a second-round pick, something like that. Uh, I could see something like that. Malik Neighbors would be awfully nice, too. I, I kind of feel, though, if the Niners got in the top 10, they would still go with the tackle. They're probably going to go the tackle over wide receiver. But Malik Neighbors, I would, I'd be very happy to move Ayuk in a trade if you could get Malik Neighbors as a replacement, because I think Neighbors fits better with with the Niners long term. Guy named Sean in the chat says, "Loving this Bay Area support for Sacramento. Look, we got love for all the regions of the Bay Area and beyond. I mean, that's the way it goes. This is bigger than just a Bay Area or San Francisco show. Now, that's the way it works here on YouTube. Thanks so much for coming on by today. Again, Larry and I are starting Wake Up at eight thirty a.m." Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays, beginning on March 4th. It's going to turn into a weekly three-day-a-week show. We hope that you plan on spending your mornings with us. It'll be a tight 45 minutes to fit perfectly into your morning schedule, to fit perfectly into your lunch break come that afternoon, if that's where it's best for you to watch it, or to fit perfectly on your drive home. What, what, are, you, what are you doing there? I was kind of showing you how tight it's going to be. It's going to be a very tight very tight, form, very, very tight. We're going to make it very tight, and that's the way very we're going to do it. Tight. Meanwhile, um, Larry, you know, we, 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 we began this program today with four ACLs. We ended with four ACLs, which means it wasn't a good day as far as I'm concerned. You know, we have one more super Damon and Lowry ooh, ooh. that we haven't even read. It's from TVU, who donates $5.00. Uh, which I wouldn't mind having right now. Uh, who are the top three all-time Niner running backs, a.k.a. Roger Craig, Frank Gore, uh, uh, Hugh McElhaney. And, Michael James on the list. <laughs> and, and the guy that I drafted out of Oregon, LaMichael James. Uh, I'd probably go with uh, Craig 1, Gore 2. Uh, and then maybe Joe the Jet Perry. I'm going uh, uh, Gore, uh, Craig one, Gore two, Christian McCaffrey third. Already, 
Christian McCaffrey is one of the three best backs in the history. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 there, Damon go. I knew he was. I, I, I told Tom. I, I told the people at Amici's. Damon's not going to want to go with you, McLaney. No, he's not going to want to go with Joe the Jet Perry. He's going to want to go with somebody more contemporary. Uh, you know, some, I knew Damon was going to be that way. He's always that way. And of course he was. <laughs> Goodbye, everybody. Hey, everybody, have a great Friday uh, or a great Monday, I should say, Monday. a Monday holiday, a little uh, little holiday weekend. Um, check me out. I'll be on the radio later today. Um, Damon, what do you got cooking on the on the plus later today? I'm not on the radio later today, Larry. I might not, not be on the radio any other day in the future. <laughs> but that's fine by me. Uh, what I got today are uh, a four-year-old and a two-year-old who are off for President's Day and a wife who has been babysitting them all morning so you and I could talk together. So I'm about to tap in and uh, take care of the boys. We're probably going to hit a playground before it starts raining out here again. And it's going to be a fun little President's Day with the boys. Uh, after that, this week is going to start opening up to Warriors talk and Giants talk and spring training talk. Uh, Plus Mania 3 has been set March 3rd, halfway club out in Crocker, Amazon, uh, starting at 4 o'clock. Larry's going to be there. We're going to have other Bay Area radio alum, I'm sure, stopping on by at some point. And it's a great little chance to get the community together. Um, no 11 o'clock show for yours truly today, but we begin that again in earnest on Tuesday. So as always, thanks for tuning in. Like and subscribe on the way out. Memberships indeed available. And we thank you for watching as always. You know, I always watch Damon and Lowry and I never miss. <laughs>